Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering something Star Wars. In this episode, Cassian Andor's reckless search for answers about his past makes him a wanted man. There will be strap in everybody because it's time for Andor. This might be a long one. We've been waiting to do this series. We're so super excited about it. We are talking about Andor episode one, Casa this week. How are you doing? Good. You should all know it took us three tries to start because we kept talking about like trash chips and stuff. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you gotta just give out the trash tips. I'm at that age where that's the kind of tips I give. It was just a series of us just going, but we digress. You ready? Yep. Oh, no, wait, we need to talk about this. <laughs> okay, you ready? Yep. Oh, no, wait, let me talk about this. Because <laughs> we are those people. You guys should have been there. Should have been there. Mm, how you doing, Chris? Good. I'm, yes. uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a little while. I am so excited to get into this. And oh boy, oh boy, it's just, uh, I, and I even been like rewatching it recently with my stepmom too. So I was like, it's something that I've been watching anyway, but still just like watching it again. It's just like, there are some things like when we finished going through Clone Wars, I've barely watched any Clone Wars since then because, like, I love the show, but, like, when you deep dive on it, it's just kind of... Yeah. You get yeah, a yeah. touch burned out I don't on it. I want to wait a few years, you know? Yeah, and you get, like, a little bit burned out. And, like, other than, like, a few scenes here and then there from Rebels, like, I kind of feel the same way. But, like, I've been actively watching Andor with my stepmom, and it only came out, like, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. I guess like about less than six months ago it ended. Less than six months ago, so like, I don't, yeah, it's just, uh, it's so good. Uh, uh. Anyway, how's your week? It's been good. I had a busy weekend. Did a lot of recording over the weekend. It just sort of flew flew by, and then back into work. But it was good because it was productive. Yeah, I had a good week, too, um, so far. Yeah, I uh, guess you did, didn't you? Well, first and foremost, we started our next session of For Light and Dice. So we rounded out the last story arc, and I'm very excited about that. 
Um, so, and also th- like shout out to Gene uh, and Aaron who have been listening to For Light and Dice and you know leaving nice comments and stuff. So shout out to you guys. Um, so we finished that, and then I got a job. After after a year of being unemployed, I finally have a job. So I started oh. it on Monday. Oh, really? Are you are you like uh um washing cars or or uh hosing down parking lots or something like that? Nope, I am a writer at Wealth of Geeks. So. Oh, good. Well, what 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 are the first stuff you're writing about? Um Ask Chris as if I haven't already told. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm just excited that you're pay get your your first gig and you're getting paid to write about Star. Wars. Even if you are doing just sort of grunt work on those now, first few stories, you're writing stories and am, getting paid I for am. it. And technically, it's my second job because I still work at Dork Side of the Forest. But that's actually how I got the job. Was my editor Meg at Dork Side of the Forest also works full time for Walt the Geeks, and she's in charge of the Star Wars section. And um, so she just needed more hands to write about Star Wars, and I needed a job. And she was just like, "Look, I already know how you work. Uh, I work with you every day at Dorkside, and I think you'd be great for this. Do you want the job?" And I was like, "Yes! <laughs> I've been unemployed for a- over a year. Please give me work." Except for I was, co- but it was a Slack channel, so she couldn't hear the tears. All she heard was, "Yeah, that would be great." But I'm like over here like, <laughs> and when she told me on, I believe it was Friday, th- it was Thursday or Friday, like I just immediately burst into tears. It's such a relief to like, not have to like to be able to pay bills. Like what a concept. <laughs> I don't have to like put bills on my credit card. What a concept. <laughs> so yeah, I started Monday um, and most of my articles so far has mostly just been like grunt articles, but my goal here's the here's the plan, guys, because they also have a Pokemon section on this website, right? My goal is to work my way up so I can eventually pitch to write about competitive Pokemon, and then eventually a Poke pitch, a Poke pitch. That's a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that a little Poke pitch to eventually write about competitive Pokemon with the thoughts of doing player interviews and so on and the goal is to interview world champion wolf glick that is the goal that is the goal he is the most decorated pokemon competitive <laughs> guys here's my other compassion by uh, my other passion by the way like the thing i love as much as star wars is pokemon but i never get a chance to talk with any about it he is the most decorated player of all time and he is considered the best pokemon player alive my goal is to interview Wolf Glick. That is what I'm shooting for. That's what we're working for. But right now, <laughs> I just got to get through writing 30, like 15 fun quotes about the Mandalorian. <laughs> That's what we got to work through. But the goal is world champion. The world champ difference, baby. Oh, yeah. He's that's got a name that's half rock star and half like a cop. And that's, that's not even a pen name. Wolf is the name that his parents gave him. <laughs> like that's his actual birth name. Yeah, Wolf. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to check him out, he uh, I mean, if he made it up as a name, it would have been like Wolf Bronson or, you know. No, no, but that's his, yeah. uh, 
But if you want to see the guy I want to interview, look up a uh, wolf. Well, wolf trainer would have been the best name. Like if you were picking your, if you were going to make up your Pokemon champion name, right? Yeah, right. But right, uh, right? Am right. I right? everybody, right. yeah, hey, right here. But and I have this like planned in my brain, like. I, I want to go through like some of the like commentators like Rosemary uh, and like work my way way up to Marcus. The next step would be like Aaron Zhang, who was considered the first de- like most uh val- like the the first most decorated player was Aaron Zhang. He was considered like the best player for the longest time until Wolf took it over. The plan is like to work up to Wolf Click. That is the goal. And then if I am doing well enough, I can actually travel to regionals and cover them live and like eventually go to the World Championships. Not to compete, but to like cover it. Like that's the dream like i love star wars i read about star wars i talk about star wars all the time but like give me an outlet to talk about pokemon please where are the world where are are they in japan uh this year they are in japan last year they were in london and then two years before that uh, you know well, those pre- would be very fun places for hope Molinex to go <laughs> yep Th- those are actually my two bucket list those places are england and japan like those are my two bucket list places but like uh, i think the year before that was indianapolis i think the world's was before that um it moves every year so but this year it's in yokohama and i probably will not get there by this year because it's in august you need but- to get a cub reporter hat no, I would need to get like a, a pen too. No, I would need to get a Cubchu reporter hat because there's a Pokemon named Pokemon named Cubchu. Oh. I would need to get a Cubchu reporter hat. But that's the goal. <laughs> we I call the we call we call the young kid who washes dishes at work Squirtle because he looks like Squirtle. Actually, I, that could go two ways. <laughs> well, he he loves it. He just bought a Squirtle hat to wear to work every day. So whenever he wears a Squirtle hat, that's cute. It was I, wonderful. This other cook who just is really funny, but you know he's not like like hey, I'm a funny guy. He'll just every once in a while just drop something out of nowhere, and he just turned around and he goes, "You know what you look like? You look like Squirtle." <laughs> and everybody's pulling out their phone to pull up an image search of, search of Squirtle, and then it was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, but that's that's the goal. I I love you, Star Wars, but my goal is to be able to write about Pokemon full time eventually. Actually, both, because I, I could pitch both. I could, I could still write for both Pokemon yeah, and. Why not both? Yeah, yeah because it's it's that kind of website, and Get then a little geek polycule going. Yeah, and then I would save like my animation stuff for like the waffles, because I still love my geeky waffles, and I wouldn't be where I am without them. So animation stuff's gonna stay with the waffles. So that's the goal. That's the dream. The dream. So, but I got to get through writing about which 30 actors were in season one of The Mandalorian first, which is what I did yesterday. And today is which 20 actors that were in The Mandalorian season two. Got to get through the grunt work, work my way up. But I have dreams, Chris, and it's going to be the world champ one day. The world champ. The world champ. Keep that eye of the tiger. Yeah, I. <laughs> we'll make that the song of the episode. Nobody's gonna ever know what it means until they get to this moment. And then they're like, "Oh, it's not even about Cassian at all." <laughs> Jesus, I hate that song. Oh. <laughs> well, then we won't make it the song of the episode. 
We've already used it actually, I think, with uh I think, I think you're we, right. I think we might have used it for the one with for the um was it Tales of the Jedi with the uh, Ahsoka did. Tiger? Oh did you? I think so. There I was one I, used it in, like, I mean Walmart whatever I used point. it for it was probably in a ham handed and literal way. So that's what I I'm I feel thinking. like we did it at Clone Wars at some point too. It was recently, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not not too uh not too bright. Anyway. That's fine. <laughs> we have, we have almost Thank you. we're three weeks away from having an episode a day for a year. Like I think it's okay if we reuse yeah, songs. Not the end of the if, world. If, if as long as you don't listen to any of our bonus episodes and stuff like that. So we've already yeah. have have hit three hundred and sixty five. I mean, we still have three weeks till that. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> we're, probably, we're probably closer to to four hundred than three hundred sixty five if you count all the holiday shows and stuff. I think you're right. <laughs> it's been a lot of years, and we'll we always do like f- at least four holiday shows. But the but some of the holiday shows are numbered, and some are not. So <laughs> so so five years of holiday shows is like twenty extra episodes. Oh yeah, they're not. A, a lot of them aren't numbered, but you know that. Some that of them are, but we've had so many point fives with like my family. Yep. So yeah. Yep. Anyway, we should. Uh... <laughs> no, bad hope. I was about to say we should do an episode of just like a, a round table, and I'm like, no, no, that's three weeks away. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> Don't schedule that. No. So, anywho, ready. Uh, I'm already <clears throat> again to Cassian. Yes, Mr. Casa. What'd you think of the episode? I liked it a lot better than when the first time I watched it. But the the reason I was disappointed with it in the first part is maybe more of Disney's presentation and how I consumed it, which I'll get into. I gave it a double score. A, a, a score. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it at the end, but it gets a double score this time. But it's a great episode. It's it's well written, but it's half an episode, really. My thing is, is it gets like that bothered me at first too, but this is now like my, I think like fifth time seeing the my fourth or fifth time seeing this episode, and it bothers me less every time. Well, yeah, because it, you you you're, you're filled in on you you're not left hanging because your brain is already filled in everything after it, you know. So it's it goes over and and it goes over a lot well a lot better the second time when when you have the context of the whole show, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I sort of gave it I, I I sort of gave it a score in the context of the show, and in the context of. You know, like a first episode. <laughs> I think that's valid. I did not, episode. but I do think that's valid. So that was my that was my that was my experience of it. You know, and I think it was. I watched it late later at night, so I was watching it before I went to bed, and I could have watched the second episode, but I really didn't couldn't stay up, and I didn't want to also watch it when I was like getting tired and thinking about how I had to go to bed and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it was a few days in between, but we'll we'll get into that more. But otherwise, what? I I really like this episode. It's it has all the qualities that make me really like Andor. So 
Mm-hmm. And it's setting up a lot of all the stuff that I really like really nicely. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a good exercise in world building. It really it and yeah, I would say that like in and like the slow burn character introduction because it, it's so interesting watching in every the whole feel you know the, the characters the whole feel of the show the 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 you know the sectors of Star Wars that they're going to you know be working in and stuff like that they they start setting up you know the whole just the whole thing and especially because like and, and you're right it like is such like a good setup because like take someone like Brasso like the first time I watched this I was just like all right he's a guy but by the time you get to the season finale you're just like Brasso is gonna be like he's hitting people in the fucking face with a brick hit him again <laughs> like you it they do such a but now like after now that i know where he goes i see brasso in this first episode i'm just like yeah it's brasso <laughs> so it really really is great so uh if it's not obvious i love the episode too i don't even remember what i rated it i just know it's rated high because <laughs> i'm just like yeah cassie just assume everything's an eight and up just assume yeah We'll just go ahead and set that bar now, because yeah. even yeah. like the one transitional episode, which I think is like episode uh, three, it's not like, weak. There's not a weak episode. Yeah, this whole well, thing. I think it's, I think it's episode right. seven. It's the one right after Aldani before the prison arc. So I think that's episode seven. Like even that episode is like solid. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and it's probably what I would consider like the quote unquote weakest quote unquote because. It's the transition episode, so. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's so good. <laughs> I actually just watched that on a it's few days not ago. We, it's not, it, I, I mean, it's only, like, really weak if you if you automatically don't like transition episodes more than other episodes. But it's such so. a needed episode. Yeah, yeah. It's really I mean, needed. I mean, as a transition episode, it's a very good one, so. I honestly think more shows should do that. I miss those days of 22-episode seasons where you can have a transitional episode instead of just being like, six episodes of Kenobi! Fucking go! Like, like Kenobi needed a transitional episode. <laughs> like, right there, about episode four or five area. They needed it right there. Right there. So, anyway... Oh, don't forget, listeners, this is very important. Uh, we are changing the format of how we're doing J-Guys for Andor. We're going to be doing the recap entirely up front, and then we're going to be talking the rest of the episode as a whole. So instead of breaking it up into three acts, um, let us know what you think of this format. Um, if this is something you like, then this might be something we continue on going forward from here. If to like get all the, or if you like the recaps to have like a breather between us talking, like, so uh, let us know what you think. I, I, we'd love to hear from you because I, I don't, I well, I can't speak for Chris because he doesn't do the outlines. It was a different field doing the outlines this I'm time. I'm sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was definitely different. So let us know what you think. So you ready to get into it? I am. Actually, let me get a sip of my water. Mm-hmm. My lemon lime seltzer water. That's only really good for about five sips before it goes flat. It tastes like a flat Sprite. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Oh, we're doing Andor. <laughs> Andor episode one, Casa. 
aired on Disney Plus on September 22nd, 2022. That's a lot of twos. And it was written by Tony Gilroy and directed by Toby Haynes. Haynes. Some extra information for you. Diego Luna is back, reprising his role as Cassian Andor from Rogue One, with Antonio Vigna playing young Casa. Luna, who is an executive producer for the show, found it very important for young Andor to be played by a Mexican actor to show that the two characters shared, shared something because Diego Luna is a Mexican actor. Venya and Luna and Fiona Shaw, the actress who plays Marva, collaborated to shape Marva's journey as an adopted mother. When Venya flew to London for his last session, Luna made sure that he was the right actor for the role and they spent time together. The two actors were shooting at the same time, so Luna was able to welcome Venya and make him feel part of the team. Luna thought that Venya was a, was very special because he does a lot of acting with his eyes, and Luna thought it was a very important for their role. Luna also liked that Venya was had that spark in his eyes. Cyril Karn is played by Kyle Soler. Soler was surprised by the script's grown-up and gritty tone, and he looked back at the title to make sure that he was actually filming a Star Wars show. He even said in an interview that there was times that he forgot he was filming Star Wars because of some of the show's social, socio-political socio drama. Bix Colleen is played by uh, Adria Unjorna. Adriana said that she uh, said about her character. I'm just redo that whole thing. Bix Colleen is played by Adria Adjorna. It uh, that's what it is. I I misspelled that one. That's what's throwing me off. Bam. Okay, I can read now. <laughs> Adria said about her character in the filming process, it gives me hope that a little girl is going to watch Andor and be like, oh my god, that girl kind of looks like me. My ethnicity wasn't part of the conversation, which was, I think, the most beautiful thing about it. It wasn't like, oh, you're a Hispanic, so you need to be in this. Tony Gilroy was like, oh, you're Bix. Brasso is played by Joplin's uh, Subtain. It's not his first stint in Star Wars, actually, as he also provided voices in the Lego Star Wars and Battlefront games. B2 Emo is voiced by Dave Chapman, who was one of the performers for BB-8 in the sequel trilogy. The Corpo Chief Hine is played by Rupert Van Sittart, uh, who played Lord, Lord, Lord Jan Royce in Game of Thrones. Tim Carlo is played by James McArty, who was actually one of the X-Wing pilots that assaulted Starkiller base in The Force Awakens. Casa's little sister Carrie is played by Bella Swark. The two shitty corpos, Kravis Dresser and Verlo Criff, are played by Lee Boardman and Stephen Wright. The hostess is played by Margaret Clooney. Nurchi is played by Raymond Anum. Vetch is played by Ian White. Uh, Salman Pack is played by Abin Galea. And Wilman Pack is played by Muhammad Brawler. And Pelga is played by Karen O'Brien. So this was cool, and I probably should have saved this note for like episode three, but who fucking cares? It's my podcast. Sound and music was very important to the show, which is why there's often percussion on Ferrix, like with the time grappler, to the citizens banging on metal as a warning. Composer Nicholas Brittel, uh, Brittel, composer Nicholas Brittel was very said this was very purposeful, as it is very much the pulse of Ferrix's people. He said both Tony Tony Gilroy and Kathleen Kennedy were very supportive of Andor having a very different sound than the rest of the Star Wars, letting Brittel experiment and also having on-camera music being recorded as filming took place, which we will talk about more in the final episode of the season. I'm going to talk about it here, <laughs> but we'll come back to it. So I think that's actually really a really cool point um, when he was talking about having like music filmed 
on set on camera because actually if you the the, the song that i'm referring to right now because i went and listened to it today was the marching band during marva's funeral uh, by the way if you're Real joining diegetic us, sound it's diegetic sound i think is the term for that I should say, if this is your first time listening to Jake as in Jedi and you're jumping on here, uh, we talk about the show as people who have seen the entire show. So there's going to be spoilers for later in the show because we're going to be talking about how this episode sets up the yeah, series because we've seen the rest it's, of the it's series. Better to, better to watch it after you've seen the show and even better to see it if you've watched the whole season. Yeah, so like we're not watching an episode and then recording and then watching episode two and recording. Like we've seen all of season one, so well, and we're gonna be talking about it. So FYI, hey, welcome to Jake and Jedi. You're gonna get spoiled. Um, but it's if you, I, I pulled up the song on Spotify um, to listen to the soundtrack. And what's so f- interesting about that marching band song is it's clear that they recorded on set because you can hear birds in the background, you can hear their footsteps, and it just gives it such a cool sound. Yeah, and it's something, and this is one of the things I really don't like about Disney, is they seem to have a very, like, they probably have super standards about how they record music and stuff, and sometimes... And like in a regular Disney show, if they were going to do a band like that, they'd bring them into the studio, have a mime along with it. And, you know, they'd put the birds and the footsteps in or whatever, you know, but it would still the music would still sound processed. And this is not processed. It's just like right out of the instruments into the air. And that has its own sound. And you don't want that sound a lot of the time, but in something like this, that's what you want. And a lot of times in Disney, you everything just sounds processed all the time, you know, especially when it comes to music. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, very, very happy to see that. Yeah. And I'm also very happy that not only is the soundtrack available, it's one of those nice, big, sprawling soundtracks collections so there's a lot of music to choose from i love that he has the theme song for every episode which is one of my notes i'm going to get into why i think that's cool so yeah the soundtrack doesn't have every single different one if if they did a different if it was different for every single episode they didn't do it but they have several different ones so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if they might repeat a couple of them a couple times or i I know that there are different ones because I noted it. Um, I think it is slightly different for every episode because they either add instruments or take instruments away depending on what's happening in the, to set the tone of the episode. So, like, for example, if you listen to the first uh, the first episode's like opening theme, it's very, I don't want to say basic, but it's the most simplest take on, yeah. take on the yeah, theme. Yeah. But when you get to say, like, a one way out where it's the prison break. There's like drums in that yeah. opening scene and <laughs> that opening theme song. So it does change. Um, I, I, and I think I read somewhere that it changes every episode, depending on the tone and they either add or take away instruments to set the tone. So, uh, where was I? But I, yeah, I just had to talk about the music because it's, it's really, this is a really special soundtrack. So, <laughs> 
Um, prior to the show's creation, there were talks about a series being made about Cassie and Andor, but Diego Luna had doubts that it would actually happen until November of 2018 when Disney's Bob Iger, a.k.a. The Good Bob, uh, announced the series. In October 2019, it was when it was announced that Tony Gilroy would be the showrunner after his work on Rogue One, and filming began in late November 2020. It was announced that K2SO actor Alan Tudlick would be in the show, but it was later clarified later clarified that he would be not be making an appearance in the first season. The showrunners opted for practical environments, with scenes being shot at Pinewood Studios and on location. One scene was shot in Picture Scotland. Sorry, Scotland, um, which was a step away from the more uh, which was a step away from the more recently used volume utilized by other Star Wars shows like The Mandalorian and Kenobi. Can and, I try? Yeah. Pit Locri. Pit Locri. Oh, there. Oh, I thought there was two eyes in it. Okay, it's fine. I can't read. You're right. It's Pit Locri. And finally, this is just a fun fact in case you're a timeline person. Season one of Andor takes place roughly about the same time of season one of Star Wars Rebels. And you do get a few crossovers. That makes um, sense, yeah. Um, because I forget which episode. I think it's episode four. Someone mentions a incident on Kessel, which is the first episode of Rebels, where they rescue the Wookiees on Kessel. So, uh, yeah, they take place roughly. They start. I can't talk tonight. Wow, and we just got started. Rebel season one takes place five BBY, and this takes place five BBY. So they're roughly the same time period. So makes sense. Which makes me excited for season two, and I hope we get. I I just want to see a live action Callus, and I just want my Fulcrum trio for even just for a scene. I need the Fulcrum trio. I need Callus and or and Ahsoka on screen together. Give me my Fulcrum trio, please, please. I need it. Season two, come on, give it to me. Give it to me, Yoda. And all the Wookiees say he's pretty fly for, for a Jedi. Does not like that music Yoda does. Aw, uh, why not? It, actually, isn't that a Weird Al song? No. No. No, Weird Al, very nice. Yes, very nice. Writes a song just about Yoda. Y-O-D-A. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm now just like looking up because isn't Chris? Am I going crazy? Isn't that a Weird Al song? Pretty fly for a Jedi. I know Maybe. it's an off. I know it's an Offspring song. I know Offspring I... sang the original, but I'm trying to like I. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't doubt it. I know he did the Yoda song though. That's true. Yes, good song. Very good song. He did, it was the best song. It is best song. And that song was number one for four years. And you know what? He's never done a song about Grogu or Yaddle. Nope. Never. So, yeah. Those so like, songs for Weird Al does not think they are funny. Thinks Yoda's funny. Ha ha. Ha ha. And very popular to have a Weird Al song, you must be. 
You know, I didn't plan this, but it ended up being a very nice segue. <laughs> A segue for Yoda? Yoda would love a segue. You would be great on a segue. Wins around, yes. Fast. Mm. A segue with the force. Even better. Hands free. Mm. (laughs) But uh, Weird Al actually did a song for the Lego Star Wars movies called Scarif Beach Party. And the reason I bring this up is because your question, Yoda... Question for Yoda. Yes, yes. Yeah, it is spring break time, Yoda. Yes. Are you taking a vacation? Like, what is the destination for Yoda? Yes. What are your o- spring break plans? Already in his speedo, Yoda is. See? Oh, oh. Little birdies on it. Yes, yes, with wings. <laughs> oh. You are. Yeah, I wasn't looking down. You are in your speedo, aren't you? Yes. Yep. Very nice, isn't it? Very nice, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Mm. Just, just sort of, just sort of soak it in. Yes. Mm. Anyway, where are you going for spring break, Yoda? Oh, probably, probably Space Vegas again. Yeah. You're not gonna go take a Scarif Beach party? Scarif Beach sounds sounds like trick. No, but, Space Vegas, go get married, go get divorced. Wait, who are you marrying? I find out in Space Vegas, you will. That's what, that's the point of Space Vegas. Don't bring anybody to Space Vegas, Yoda does not. Huh. Yes. Get a sweet, go get some free lobster at the casino. You know, Space Lobster, you know, it's big. Space lobster is big, yes. Yeah. Are they it's, like the size of Moncala? Well, maybe might be Moncala who aren't that good at navigation, maybe. Ew, they're people. They go to go to Vegas to get rich and famous. Does it work out? Mm, in the buffet of the casino. They're maybe. people, Yoda. What what happens in Space Vegas stays in Space Vegas. So just say it. Maybe catch a show. Lots of lots of good performers. See size noodles. Maybe see the Fulcrum Trio. Mmm, good band. Before they the Moncala get go to the bar, do they turn around and yell, It's a trap? <laughs> what Yoda hears is they 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 say, mm, Oh, look, you've won jackpot. And then they walk them back and then trap door boiling water. Boom, boom. Oh the my bu- god. Drawn, drawn space butter. And, I don't mm-hmm. I don't condone this. Moncala people. No. Um, d- would, would Yoda be honest you like? Nobody asked if you condone it. <laughs> All Get right, back well, to Yoda when you run Space Vegas. Huh? <laughs> okay, okay. Here is your bag. Go to Space Vegas. We'll see you next week. Have Here's fun. My- Yoda's back and Yoda's sack. <laughs> oh. I feel like I'm stuck in like the Soylent Green movie of just like, it's people! I like when Grogu's, when we're doing the Grogu shows because it really keeps him, keeps him brief. He's, he, then he's grumpy and he's out. 
the when he's all happy like this, it's it's really like it's feeling his own. And as he gets older, it's not like he has more of a filter. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, I must say that mentioning Weird Al and the the Lego special just reminded me once again that we still haven't done Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation yet. No, I know it's in the middle. It's it's the end of winter. <laughs> right, we still haven't done that damn episode yet. Uh, um, you know, there's we'll always do, summer. <laughs> you know, we could do it between Andor and Bad Batch, and then you know what? We're gonna get there. And we're gonna fucking forget. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should. Maybe maybe I should watch it, and then when we get to summer, it'll be a rewatch for me. If you want, but. <laughs> It's going to be one of those things. Like, we're going to get, like, three episodes in Bad Batch and just be like, fuck! <laughs> we forgot Lego's summer vacation again! It's fall! L- listeners, remind us. <laughs> Please remind us. So we said the, ho- like the Halloween was a nice Halloween theme and the Christmas was a Christmas theme. This is just like, yeah, anytime between spring break and September, you could do it. And by that time, I'm just like, I forgot. That's a lot of time. It's summer somewhere, Hope. That's true. That is true. We could do it do it in the win- dead of winter for our good buddy Bucho down in New Zealand. Right, right. I think Bucho would really enjoy that, especially. Well, and the people having a cold winter might enjoy a little bit of summer in their winter. I'm wishing they had a Scarif beach party. You got some summer in your winter. You got some winter in your summer, and then it's a new candy bar. Speaking of which, that show Two always reminds me. Candy bar. That show always reminds me about how <laughs> it has a big old plot hole that makes me like stare at it and just go, "But how is this possible?" Because Finn is on Scarif, and I'm like, "Didn't Scarif isn't Scarif lava and half exploded by now? <laughs> how are you there, Finn? How? I guess one beach survived." Yeah, yeah, yeah. The le- yeah, I'm. Pretty I, sure the Lego stuff is not canon. It's so not. We're, it's we're, not. You, you no. Relax. I wish some of it was because they've done more for Finn's character than three fucking sequels. Well, yeah. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. That says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's Those specials that, are it, like. It's amazing that they're even doing anything with Finn's character. It's because it's because they don't need the actor to do it. <laughs> mm. Which is a shame because uh, Kelly Marie Tran still does all of Rose's stuff. On the Lego special, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised, yeah. Mm. Those are also always fun to have, like Bat Lantern stuff back. Anyway, I would say Act One, but I'm gonna do the entire recap at the top. Are you Episode ready? Episode One. Episode One. All right, let's uh, <clears throat> let's finish this weird pig dog pee on the robot. <gasps> we thing can't off. wrap. Puppies up. Wrapping it up. We're, 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 let's get this started and wrapping it up at the same time. We can free the puppies. We'll free all the puppies, Chris. Do you really want to free those puppies? They were kind of like, they were kind of ugly puppies in this one. How dare you? The Karelian hounds are just sweet babies. <laughs> they are yeah. doggos. I had a They're pup. like dog pigs. I had a pug. I know what it looks like to have an ugly yes, dog. Yes, that, that's the thing. Is that there? Yeah, there is some pug in there for sure. 
Yeah, they are sweet babies. So you know what? We're going to, instead of wrapping the puppies up, we're going to release all the puppies. Chris, song of the episode, who let the dogs out? Oh, Jesus. People are going to like come to the episode and be like, what the fuck? What is it's this? Gonna be not, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be none of these because I'm going to forget them when I, when I do it. And it's going to yeah, be uh, you'll, you'll hear it as you edit. <laughs> I'll have already edited that on, though, by the time I'm listening to that. And then you just swap the song. Oh, jeez. I'll be swapping it like four times. I just want to see people like come into the episode and be like, why the hell is Who Let the Dogs Out playing for Cassie and Andor episode one? And they're they're like, for the first, like, how long have we been recording It's going to be just the first guitar riffs from Eye of the Tiger. And then Who Let the Dogs Out? Who? Who? And they're going to be like, what the hell? And they're going to be like 40 minutes wondering, like, what this has to do with the episode. And they're just going to get here. Redownload the episode because they think they got the wrong thing. This file's corrupt. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I say you're corrupt. Like the corpos? Yes. We're about to talk about that. Ah! All right, you ready? Do it. All right. Shall talk. You shall talk for a while. (laughs) Episode, act one, two, and three, episode one. We open on Morlano one, and we know that because they actually put the titles of the goddamn planet on screen. Thank Jesus. And Cassian... Andor, lovely Cassian. We missed you, Cassian. Ah, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I, you know, I like, I love Rogue One, favorite Star Wars movie. Ugh, oh, adore you. Here we go. And he is going to a brothel, and he's not going there for funsies. No, no, this is a business trip. A business trip at the brothel is what they all the businessmen say. But the businessman, he's not. He's the, he's there for a reason. And he is trying to find some like super secret, uh, some super secret info about something. And the hostess comes over and she's just like, hey there, I'm hot. And he's like, yeah, hi, wait, no, I'm here for a reason. Hi, what's going on? And you know what? Down the bar, there are two mall cops. Two little mall cops are sitting at the end of the bar and we're gonna name them shit one and shit two. And they get big old mad because the pretty hostess lady is talking to Cassian. And they like having their mall cop power and their little segues that are not forced power like Yoda's. And they get big mad because they gotta get served and they're in charge. And if they're not in charge, then their penises shrink. I have 15 years of working in retail with a lot of trauma with mall cops. I'm gonna be working through on this. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. Cassian and the hostess ignore them, and he asks about a girl from Canari, because that's actually why he's there, because he wants to find his sister. But the hostess is like, I'm so sorry, but like, there was a girl here from Canari, and she left, but like, none of the girls give their names, so, uh, I have this other cute girl, and he's like, no, I'm not gonna get laid tonight. Thank you for your time, lovely lady. And fuck you, mall cops. And they're like, what'd you say? He's like, okay, bye. And Cassian slinks on out of there. But the mall cops are like, I think he just said fuck you. And that pretty lady talked to him more than us. Let's go hassle him. So they go out and they follow Cassian into the rain. And it is super tense. Like, it's a tense ass scene. And I'll get into why in a minute. But they start pushing him around, and he's like, look, here's some money. Like, take the money and let me go. It's fine. 
and they're like, that's all right. We're gonna, we stopped you, and now it's time to frisk you. And they're like, haha. And they try to bully him, but Cassian fights back, and he kills both of them. And he's just like, oh god. <laughs> uh, 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 fuck, fuck, fuck. And he runs from the scene of the crime, and he flies back to Ferex, where is where he lives. And then we meet the best droid. His name is B2Emo, and he is not emo. He is super sweet, and he's a baby, and everyone loves B2Emo. And, I, you know, I recently read about Rebels Recon and how, like, the chopper cam segment was so good, but if we had B2Emo cam, it would break the fucking internet. Give it to me. Star Wars, give it to me. Anyway, he B2Emo rolls into the junkyard, and he's just like... Hi, Cassian. I'm a sweet baby. And Cassian's like, yes, you are. You're the sweetest baby. Thank you for coming and get bringing me, like, band-aids. So he band-aids up his hand. And he asks uh, B2 Emo to lie for him. And B2 Emo is like, oh, okay, well, I guess I will. Do you think Marvel will be mad at me? He's like, no, Marvel will not be mad at you. But I need you to help me, okay? Who came by the house last night? And B2 Emil was like, I, I think it was Brasso, who is like a really cool character that everybody loves. And Cassian's like, cool, I'm going to go find him. And he sets out to find Brasso. And we get our first real look at Ferex. And I just got to say, it's chef's kiss, great set piece, love Ferex. And... We meet up with Brasso, who is the best. <laughs> right now, he's just like, hey, it's Brasso. But come, like, 12 episodes, we're going to just be like, Brasso! <laughs> so just put a pen in that in a second. Also, good morning, Dario. I know I just woke you up. Anyway. <laughs> um, so. Uh, oh, Dario's not asleep yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he was maybe dozing off. Yeah, so. he's he's his his eyes are getting very heavy. And then here's Bresso. <laughs> Good morning again, Dario. Anyway, so Cassian meets up with Brasso, and Brasso is just like, "Oh my God, what happened to your fucking face?" And Cassian's like, "You hit me, remember?" And he was like, "No." Am I supposed to? Do you want me to hit you? He's like, no, don't. No, I was at your place and I got a little drunk and I fell over. And so fine, you didn't hit me, but I fell over. And we went nowhere else. Cool. And Brass was like, fuck, what are, what, oh, fine. Yes, fine. And yeah, get a job. Because, you know, Marva is cold and you should stop being a deadbeat and actually help your mom. I will lie for you. Cassian's like, you're the best, Brasso. Thank you. Okay, gotta go. Bye. And he runs off and Brasso's like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's okay. In 11 episodes, I'm going to be the best. Oh, I gotta go to work. So Cassian then goes off to meet Bix. But we don't see Bix right away. We actually meet Tim. You should keep an eye on Tim. For at least two episodes. Just, just keep an eye on Tim. Because he's Tim. Anyway, we go talk to Bix. <laughs> And apparently Bix has this little deal that, because she's like a mechanic and she has this like scrap part and she like fix stuff up for people and shit. But she has this kind of side gig where she has this like super secret friend who we actually find out later is Luthen Rail, which, which is Stellan Skarsgård's character. But we'll get there and we'll, we'll see that soon. But, you know, she has a super secret friend that she like 
sells the cool stuff too. And Cassian wants her to call this friend. And Bix is like, well, no, I only call him once a month. Like, I'm not calling him for a few weeks. And Cassian's like, please, Bix, I need it! And she's like, oh, Jesus, freaking force, Christ. What did you do now, Cassian? You're super desperate. And he's like, I'm not desperate, you're desperate. That's why you're fucking Tim. And she's like, <laughs> ooh, burn! I said in my own head at the joke that I made up. Ha ha, she's a Tim fucker. A Tim fucker. And she's a thumper. Like, That's a thumper. It's a Tim humper. A thumper? She's a, she's a stinking thumper. And Bix is like, at least Tim's got a job. He's like, shut up. Anyway, call your friend. I'm in a lot of trouble. And she's just like, fine. I lost my spot because I was thinking about thumper. There I am. <laughs> and, and finally Bix agrees and she's like fine I will call my friend but uh, you gotta you gotta go and Tim sees them hanging out and Tim gets all suspicious anyway as Cassian moves to the town we get to see more of Ferrix and apparently Cassian owes a lot of people money including this guy named Nurchie who like Tim you should keep an eye on Nurchie just saying you know he doesn't seem like much now but keep a, keep a little eye on Nurchie just put, put, put a pin on that one but uh, eventually, Bix decides to go to Wilman and Salmon Pack, who I do love. I wish they're in the show more. I do love the packs. Um, she goes to them because apparently, Wilman's the son. Sorry, I had to think about that. I was like, which pack is which? It's a two pack. <laughs> oh, oh Shakur. Huh? I said, oh, Shakur. Yeah. Um, so it turns out that Salmon has a super secret thing in the back of his store. And in the back of his store, the super secret thing can call Luthen Rail, which Bix then uses, 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 uses to send him a message. And, and this part of the episode ends with Cassian going to the shipyard and we meet Pelga and his cute little ju junkyard hounds. Look at them, they're, they're babies. And Pelga is so fed up with Cassian because apparently Cassian borrows the ship all the time against his boss's orders. And like Brasso, Pelga is absolutely fed up with Cassian's antics. And he's done. And he tells Cassian no more and he walks off. But meanwhile... During all this, we go back to Morlor Morlana 1, and we meet the poster boy of incels, Cyril Karn. And he just submitted a, a report to his big boss that there are two mall cops dead, and this is a tragedy. And we must have justice for the mall cops, sir, because if we can't get justice for these mall cops, then Lady Law and Master Order will not be happy, sir. And his boss looks up like, well, I wasn't even reading <laughs> your report. Uh, this is bad timing. I'm about to go to uh, some Imperial inspections and we need to keep our crime rates down because here, here's the gist, buddy. You know, we keep our crime rates down, they don't fuck with us, we all get to have our nice little lives. So, uh, I need you to change this report. And slowly, Cyril's, uh, worldview is completely shattered. He's like, what, what do you mean, change the report? 
he's like, it's exactly what I thought, what I just said. They died in the accident, saving some people. Don't make it too heroic. And actually, one of my favorite lines is like, we don't need no parades. And Cyril's like, but but what will Lady Justice think of me? How will I get hard on Lady Justice if there is no justice served? And his boss is like, I... I learned way more about you than I wanted to. Uh, do the order, and I'm leaving for like three days. Don't do anything stupid in the next three days, Cyril. Bye! And he leaves. And Cyril is big mad and not turned on because Lady Justice is not served. So he decides he has he's going to go and rebel. Kind of. In his own way. Because he has to think really hard about it before going into the navigation area. I think it's like navigation. I don't know what this area is. He has to go into this area and get some intel. And he thinks really hard about it at the door. But he he puts on his big boy face. And he opens the door. And he's just like, you! I need you to help me find this ship from last night. I'm gonna boss you around. And everyone's like, oh, cute. It's, it's Cyril. He's like, that is cute, sir. I will have order. And I'm in charge. And they're like, are you crying, sir? And he's like, no, work or I'll fire you. And they're like, all right. Well, here's a dot on the screen. You want me to figure out where the ship was going? He's like, yes, thank you. Do your job. And he walks out. He's like, that, that was good. That was a, that was a, a taste of power. Huh. Certainly hope I don't let this go to my head. I'm gonna go yell at more people. So he runs and he yells at more of his co-workers and he's just like, you know what, co-workers? We now know that it was a man from Canari who did this and it happened on Ferrix. So you're gonna call Ferrix and, you know, ask them about a Canari mail and yeah. And they're like, do we have to, sir? And he's like, yes! Why is no one doing their fucking jobs? And literally everybody is just like, you don't understand what we do here, Cyril. We we want to not rock the boat. And he just takes the boat and he shakes it. He was just like, Canary Mails, Ferrix, do it. It'll be fine. And of course it's going to be fine because surely no one knows that, that Cassian is from Canary. Right, Tim? Right, Tim? Speaking of Canari, we then open in some flashbacks, last but not least, on the planet of Canari, where we see a young Cassian, or Casa, and he lives with a group of children, and what looks to be the rest of his village, there are no adults, they are just living there on the waterfront, and they look up and they see a big old starship crashing nearby, and they're all just like, uh, uh uh-oh, and his sister comes over, and she's a cute little cute little thing and I love her and she looks up and he's like it's gonna be okay I'm gonna go on my first big boy adventure it'll be great and she's like ah don't I might never see you again he's like no no that's never gonna happen so they watch the ship explode in the distance and all the kids come around to prepare for their journey and they paint their faces and they prepare their poisonous blow darts and they get their their water and Casa's like yeah big boy adventure and he jumps down and he gets scorned by a teenager but the lead teenager is like, nah, he can come. Shut the fuck up, John. <laughs> and John's like, fine, Casa, you can come. And Casa's like, yeah, I'm going on an adventure. And he paints his face, and he says goodbye to his sister, 
and he doesn't realize that this is the last time that he's ever going to see his sister, and he leaves with the other kids to go off on a literal adventure of his lifetime. The end. The end. This is actually sort of like act one and act half of act two is what this episode is. As far as the the story of the first two episodes. Sorry, I was blowing my nose. Yes, you oh. are right. <laughs> actually, I, I actually don't see it that way. I do see like this as Act One, Episode Two as Act Three, and or as Act Two and Episode Three as Act Three. I think they're actually really separated well because this sets up so much of. Ferrix and like where Cassian stands with everybody because people do actually like Cassian but they're just also fed up with him and this was establishing that and then next episode is all that kind of like unrolling when Luthen arrives and then of course Act 3 is just like bam so I think I say as I've can't really remember it so oh hold on I need a drink of my water mm. It is different doing it all at once. <laughs> I don't get those breaks. Ah. So. Shall I start? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you have a lot more notes than me. I have just more like stuff. I, I have a feeling I'll just try to pepper all my notes in with it with yours and my thought. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I didn't write them down as notes. So that yeah, let's just go through your notes and I'll uh I'll pepper in what I can. So <laughs> I'm gonna start off with a joke. People losing their shit calling this an adult show as if because it starts in a brothel, as if Jar Jar didn't fuck his girlfriend in Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, there's been dancing girls and hookers in Star Wars anyway before this, so you but, know, whatever. I the the adult that yeah. Yeah, just to kind of like the joking aside, like why do you think people consider this more adult? And like what is being adult Star Wars even mean at this point to, to you? I, I hate it. It's a sales point in some ways. It's all sorts of things, but it's like the thing is saying that the show is adult has too much there's too much that's too vague these days. Because whose idea of adult is it? Is it adult to where it's just like, bore you know, like a masterpiece theater? Or is it adult where there's like lots of swearing and rude stuff? And that's usually what it's meant by adult is more like, you know, veering towards like swearing and nudity and stuff like that and sex. You know, oh, this show's adult. But or is it adult intellectual? Both of those kind of have a stink and I don't like having them attached to this. But like it, it, like a lot of people have been like, well, this is a Star Wars. It definitely like is a is a Star Wars that could appeal to someone who's never seen a Star Wars before, but at the or no, or know what's going on in Star Wars. But at the same time, it's not that it's not that different. It's just like you know the youngest of Star Wars fans probably would not be into it you know but i'm like little kids but like even you know preteens and tweens and teens 
there's nothing in here that's like too complicated for them or too it's not boring you know and kids are smart enough to figure it out i i I think like i i i disagree with that because i have several friends who have kids and their kids were lost and their kids well some of them were like younger some of them were like like upper kid level like nine ten yeah. And, I, and I think that some of it for me is that is I think it's the presentation and a lot of it is it's not very pulpy. You know, Star Wars has like aliens and lightsabers and starfighter battles. And especially these first three episodes, they don't have that like pulpy Star Wars. No, side. but it has and, the immersiveness of, of the world and it's peppered with neats. You know, there's there's monster dogs and there's a tall slug guy and stuff like that. It's but it's peppered so in there. few and far between compared to something like like resistance right and and i I have this note like um andor is not tackling new stuff well it was i mean resistance really had to hit a younger audience too yeah which is kind of my point like like all the stuff that andor is covering in this first season is not new topics a lot of these are topics that have been covered in like bite-sized form in like clone wars rebels resistance bad batch other yeah. shows these are all things but i think what it is like the difference is is like those are very like either target audience and how it's presented or the immersiveness of it because like you'll have political episodes like with padme and bail organa and clone wars but they're kind of like surface level while this is like here's the deep diving of how this like personally affects mon mothma as a person her family and everything is at stake and i think the presentation was what's different because the plot of andor season one is the exact same plot of resistance season one they are the exact same show well yeah because it's 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 a cyclical like societal thing that's being it's the like a fall into a fall into fascism is being shown and it's and it happens in a similar fashion yeah and and they're both about communities being invaded uh, by fascism only like one's during peacetime and one is when the empire is already in in power but like they both do the same thing of like you get to know everybody on the colossus you get to know the community you start learning the stakes you see the the pirates of of resistance are essentially the mall cop corpos of andor and then like the the first order in the empire uses those to get to invade like they are the exact same plot but it's the target audience and how they're presented i think is like really the difference but it does get to me a little bit when people shit on resistance when andor is doing the exact same well it is doing the exact same thing but they're not the same you know they're not for the same tastes of people but the thing is andor isn't pander like you know pandering towards like adultness it it does uh, spoiler coming ahead it does say shit at one point but it just it's sort of a nice moment it's not like in star trek where they threw an f-bomb in they almost was awkward and cringy yeah they almost had an f-bomb i'm kind of glad they didn't i think it worked better the way it did but we'll get to that when we get to that but yeah but a whole article about that like, I think there's too much, like, there's too much, like, I think it turned, I, I I think this show, like, is an example of just, like, a raging success as far as, you know, um, every aspect of what you would want a good show to be. 
but it's also a good example of bad um bad presentation of that show once it was you know something something that could have been a like gem on the the star wars franchise was sort of like kind of bungled in the presentation of it and i think it and a lot of yeah, it was start, talk you, of it as you start with is, that because you were talking adult. about how you you were talking about how you were you struggled with this first episode well because i know i i've talked to a lot of people who just were they're just not going to watch it they're like i'm not interested in that character which i wasn't like you know, particularly, I wasn't opposed to a, a, You weren't like me, field. where I was like, I was waiting for it. I was like, you were ready I for it, but I was her. just like, okay, I'll see, I'll see what they do about it. But I wasn't particularly like, ooh, that's something I thought this guy should have his own spinoff or anything like that. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, we'll see what we'll see what they the, they can do with it. You know, okay, I'm I, I I am a big proponent of like experimenting with different kinds of Star Wars, but I got to tell you. And, that, you know, but like, I think it turned a lot of people off because they're like, oh, they, this is a Star Wars. It's not they're making it not Star Warsy to appeal to the people who don't like Star Wars or it's being adult to pander towards the, the you know, the adult children that want swearing in their Star Wars or it's good. You know, it has all that talk had so much like stank attached to it that it's like you think it's going to be this or that. It's really just Star Wars, and 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 it's not. I mean, it it's focusing. It's a localized story like Resistance, so it's focusing on a, a small group of characters. But it does. I mean, this goes out, and it's not like all set on this this planet in this town. But it's it, there's nothing endemically non-star wars about it it's pretty star wars to its core it doesn't try to be too stylistically different it just tries to tell its story really well and it it shades in parts of it's you, you know and i think people are like god ah, you know that that there there's too many bad associations with the way they describe it and uh it's 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 not this radically different show. It's it's different in that it doesn't have huge set pieces all the time. You know, it's not a it's not like the Mandalorian and stuff. But there have been beats like this all through Star Wars, but you would only get a couple beats of them. You know, because you had to get back to the action and the the main storyline in the two hours that they had. So this is just sort of an expansion on stuff that's already been in Star Wars, you know. Here's and it's very Star Wars in its presentation and its world building. You know, it looks like it's in this universe. Doesn't look it's not filmed radically. It's filmed differently than a lot of the shows lately without the volume and stuff, but it's not radically different looking than anything else Star Wars. It's just a little tonally different, but yeah, uh, people are they're, they're denying themselves it, and it, and it, and it's just sort of existed in this limbo where everybody who's seen it has been like, that was really good. <laughs> here's and, here's what I I do wonder, and and I'm saying I wonder because I don't know for sure. If somebody does know for sure, please hit me up. This where other shows like say like Kenobi or even like Clone Wars or Rebels or any of those, 
it feels like they were trying to make a Star Wars show first and then everything else came after. This feels like they were just trying to make a good show first and then Star Wars came after. But I, I know that's not... I, I, I Because... And I, I think the difference is actually Tony Gilroy. I mean, you can just this, be like, I plan on making a good a star. Yeah, he's well, that, he well, has that aesthetic. Well, here's also the difference is like, let's compare Tony Gilroy to someone like Favreau and Filoni. Favreau and Filoni were Star Wars fanboys growing up. And, and they've been very open about it. They love Star Wars. They had all the toys. They were in the, like, they did all the things. Tony Gilroy was not a Star Wars fan growing up. He... Like he saw the movies and he thought they were fine. And that I think, and so like, he, and he did Rogue One and he's doing Andor, but he doesn't have like the fanboy aspect to it. And yeah, there are like Easter well, that, eggs. That's, like, that's Luthen another Sh- thing. Luthen's oh, shop yeah. is like a plethora of Easter eggs, but that almost feels like it was Tony Gilroy going, Hey, Luthen Real has an antique shop. And then Lucasfilm going, All right, we'll put all the Easter eggs in it. And Tony goes, Cool. I'm yeah, but he, 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 he copies shots. He puts some shots in that are tributes to other shots and stuff. So, I mean, I mean, that's another thing is when people hear, well, Tony Gilroy was not a, a Star Wars fan. It sounds like when it, 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 it reminds of like when J.J. Abrams did Star Trek and they're like, well, J.J. Abrams wasn't a Star Trek fan. But he just didn't. He was a, not a Star Trek fan and is where he didn't particularly like it or watch it. Whereas when they say it about Gilroy is he just wasn't a fanboy. He was like, oh, I like the Star Wars movies. But he he did work really close with the story group that I do know. Like he did like, you know, a lot of it was like he'd give them the scripts and be like, all right, Star Wars, fight it. (laughs) To to Star Trek, you had the, the, the Star Trek that everybody jumps to as their favorite or the high point of Star Trek in movies was Wrath of Khan, which was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who was. Not a Star Trek fan. He'd seen some Star Trek, you know, and was, a sci- you know, familiar with science fiction and Star Trek was huge. And he, he was familiar sort of with the characters and stuff, but he had to. But he was brought in to do the movie, so he just he was approaching it like he didn't have the baggage of being a fan. And Ooh, the, I, like, I time, like that phrase. Gilroy I like that. I like Gilroy. that phrase, not the baggage of being a fan. I do yeah. like that. I, mean, I do feel like that is a difference too, but it can be baggage also, you know, and, and, but at the same time, Gilroy isn't out to like reinvent the wheel with it or be like, I'm going to invent Tony Gilroy's star Wars. You know, it doesn't feel like that. Maybe rogue one feels more like, you know, a director's vision in star Wars more than this does. This feels just like a work of star Wars. It doesn't feel like Tony Gilroy is trying to, put his his mark on it is or anything it's he's just doing uh he's trying to make a good show and yeah <laughs> and succeeding yeah it's it's i mean maybe they should maybe they should think of that more because this is one of the most successful things i think i i, I think this is like the best thing as a thing that Disney has made of Star Wars yet. I'm I, I would put this as a crown jewel in Disney Star Wars so far, and we'll see how season two goes, but probably pretty good. <laughs> I, I have I have 
we'll get that to that one probably when we get to the wrap up. But I do have like some. I don't. Season one blew me out of the water. Like I knew it was going to be good. It was when they announced all the slews of shows at the beginning. Like this was the show that I was waiting for the most, and it did not disappoint me. What I've heard of season two, I do have some things that are just like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. But we'll talk about that when we get to the season yeah. wrap up. We just started the episode. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to, because to me, very much is like the how it's presented. I, I keep going back to that, and like that's what makes it adult. Because this is the worst example ever. Here we go. <laughs> Here's a, here we go. Like. A Clone Wars episode about, like, a political episode is, like, a YouTube video of, like, here's the presentation of, like, the thoughts and ideas of it. Andor, to me, is, like, a 20-page essay of it. And and it's the same point. But to me, like, that's the difference. Like, one is very surface level and bite-sized. And it, it is themes that we have before. But, like, I feel like Andor, like, really deep dives of just... But, but also pulls... Like, we always talk about how, like, animation and other shows pull from, like, real-world examples. But this feels like it is in the throat of real-world world examples. This show is uncomfortable at times. And it wants you to be uncomfortable. It doesn't care if you're uncomfortable because you're going to be uncomfortable. It needs you to be uncomfortable. It's it's portraying it, an uncomfortable time in any kind of and it, <laughs> political and it, system. And it challenges you. It challenges to go, what part, what part of the, which cog are you in this machine? Which cog are you? And it makes you think, like, what cog am I? And I think, I, to me, like, that really is the dis- difference. Is, well, all the cogs are familiar, too. You see very familiar mm-hmm. cogs. Which I will get into in a little bit, because I did pull some of those cogs. Like, uh... Diego Luna being a Mexican actor and them just being like, oh, did you swim here? Oh, that got me. <laughs> oh, that gets me every time. Um, but yeah, I I would love to hear from you guys, listeners, to like, why why do you guys think people consider this more of a quote-unquote adult show? And what does that mean to you? Like, I would love to hear from you guys. Please give us some feedback either on Teacher Freaks Fit Discord the Two True Freaks Discord or the Facebook page, or you can send it to me on Twitter if it's not broken yet. So, yeah, leave us those because we actually have our first Discord feedback tonight, guys. Hey! Um, if you want to join our Discord, let me and Chris know, and we'll send you a link. Like I, how I sent Charles a link from uh, Gold Squadron Gaze. Now he's in our uh, Discord, so hi, Charles. Anyway, my next note is just a very simple one. But my God, praise Jesus, I love this point about the show. And I love that Rogue One does this too. Like, this is a Tony Gilroy Star Wars thing, please keep. Thank you for actually labeling the planets and also the time so we know where we are in the timeline. But mostly thank you for labeling the planets. Thank you for labeling the planets. It's such a simple thing. But my God, because like not every planet is iconic like... Like Tatooine, you go to Tatooine, well, you know you're on Tatooine. Yeah, but, like, but when and with the way they tell the stories in the other ones, somebody can say like, "Oh, we're on our way to this place and stuff." The way this story is telling, it's just sort of jumping from one place to another. So you gotta like. But a lot uh, of times they don't. No, but even sometimes they'll even do it, and they'll mention it where they're going, and to give you a heads up in the in the opening crawl, you know, or something like that. So. Yeah, or, but like it's just, but they also really don't do that. Well, let me, let me rephrase this. Hold on, let me back that up. 
they don't always do that. And like sometimes I'm like, I still don't know where fucking Luke Skywalker's school was that he was trading Grogu. Well, it's probably I mean, in a reference book. It, it doesn't matter as much as these ones matter because these ones are all going to matter to the plot point of people are going to say their name, you know, say their name, and you're going to be confused as to where everybody is if they don't if they don't tell you somehow, you know. And they decided not to do it in clumsy dialogue, so it's just a natural way to do it. I just wish they did it more. I love it. I love knowing the planets. Thank you. I love it. Oh, give it to me more. I'm Get fine. it to me, I'm, baby. I'm fine being on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> Get it to me, I, baby. I don't care. Uh-huh, I don't care uh-huh. what any of these planets are, as long as I can keep track of the story. I care sometimes, not all the time, so... Oh my god, let's talk about the Corpos and the brothel scene. Ah, they are the mall cops of the galaxy. Yeah, they're not getting paid enough to do any real work. Oh my god, the Corpos, and, and I wrote an article about this over on Dark Side of the Forest. They really are the mall cops of the galaxy. Let me let me describe the mall cops for you. Because like I said, I've worked retail for 15 years, and there are two kinds of mall cops. The first kind are the chill guys who know that they're just there to do their job and just to make sure, like, teenagers are not climbing in fountains. And then that just to walk around. They understand that. They're not getting paid more than that. And they're super chill. And then you had the other kind of mall cops, which are the corpos. And they're the ones who think that they are real police officers. They didn't they will... pass that test, though. <laughs> and they think they're real police officers. And they will come into your store and just be like, oh, this box is an inch over the walkway we're gonna find your store and i would just scoot the box with my foot he'd be like no it's too late now your store is gonna get fined like they think they're real cops they boss the stores around they are there to enforce the mall policies and like that's the thing and this little analogy the mall office the people who own the mall are the empire they are the biggest dicks in the world and they don't give a shit. And they treat their store owners like shit. And the mall cops are there to enforce their policies. And they will fine you. They'll make you work overtime. They dictate when you can open and close your stores. And the mall cops will walk around. And if you close a minute too soon, they will write your store up. That is who the corpus are. And I wasn't kidding when I said I have 15 oh, no. years of fucking therapy to oh, work no, through there's... these guys. The I you see there's a lot like like Cyril's boss, he's more of the chill kind where he's just like, look, those guys were pricks, you know. I I met one of those guys who's a real asshole, and they're probably they're probably being assholes, and somebody killed him. But that looks bad. Might as well make it look something good, make it easier for us. Boom, boom, it's done. We're out of here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and you know, I I'm not getting paid enough to to do this and it's the weekend so you know there's 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 a bunch of them like that because they are only on that level they're just got they're just punch punch some of them are higher level punch clock and lower level punch clock but they're like in as we go whenever we get scenes of the corpos standing around it reminds me of being like on a construction site or something like that too where you have you know, the workers, and then you have the the guys who are in charge. But the guys in charge, were, you know, usually start out as workers that are just kind of like, but they're also like a little fatter, older, 
little coffee in their hand and you know just they just want you know they don't want just just try to keep everything moving without as much trouble as possible you know you know if you have to let a few rules slide uh you know it's fine (laughs) so also about the like the corpos that i i might just go through and do all my corpo notes at once they first of all they crumble at the first instant of being challenged they're just like not real powerful people but are you there yeah okay but the the thing about the corpos are they are a very important part of the imperial system because you need these lower level systems of power to hold up the bigger structures like the empire they are there to help really crack down on the outskirts of the areas that the empire can't don't have like the full manpower to get to and like we kind of saw this recently in the bad batch in the second season where they like found the shitty guy who had all the boys in the mines but like those those my brain just stopped um those systems of uh what is the word i'm looking for um i don't know where you subjugate people oppression there we go uh, like those systems of oppression, especially like in capitalist societies, are very important to have these like lower level systems so the bigger fascist government can thrive. They need these smaller, like little tiny pyramids to hold up the bigger pyramid. So the corpos are actually a very vital part, not just the corpos, like the group in the bad batch that like the bad batch, like the the minor guy who the bad batch saved all the boys from. You know, like these like little systems and pockets of oppression are very important to help keep this fascist government in check. And they're very much needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you have to you have to run things on a physical level. You know, you have to have the daily grind managed, you know, and that's that's their function and that but the thing is like cyril cyril's very bad at it he thinks he's very good at it but they have to be a little bit incompetent they can't be they can't be like stormtroopers they can't be like we're enforcing every law they don't want to be stormtroopers well no some of them just want to go do their job and go home well they can't there's not enough energy to go after everything every infraction and they know that so if you like you can't just like start you know to pull the force of the empire against some guy who shot two assholes in a mud puddle somewhere that were there because they'd been sent you know they'd been they'd blown all their good assignments so they were kind of useless in the first place and cyril's ready to like spend millions of dollars trying to hunt down cassian you know for it and they're just like hey look relax dude and and that's not like they're there to be there and be sort of like you know fairly normal and then if the then if people get then if things get uppity then you bring the then you bring the stormtroopers in and you 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 know you start enforcing the rules you have to have like that contrast you know you have to have those steps and levels so people can you know 
pick the easy, you know, the path of least, least resistance, which is try to get a lot, you know, if you don't make trouble in with the corpos, it's not as bad as if you have the whole town full of troopers and they're pissed off at you. You know, you're, you're not being paid attention to as much and you can, you can, uh, and that's how they, they keep their pot. That's that way they don't have to expend all, you don't have enough power to just like, put stormtroopers everywhere and make sure they're making sure nothing bad, you know, nothing bad happens and finding all digging out all the, you know, you know, the rebels and the, the troublemakers, it, it there's not enough energy to do it. The proportion of stormtroopers and empire leadership to civilian populaces, you know, probably millions and millions to one on a galaxy level. So, you have to have this like whole sort of system to make sure that people don't rebel, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's sort of, this is, that's another part of this is Cyril sort of is a breakdown in doing what he was supposed to do by over, over compensating, doing what he's supposed to do. And in fact, like that, is one of the things that helps the rebellion the most because they have to react to Cyril stirring the pot with Andor, you know, if he hadn't, if he hadn't, Cassian would have just gone along his way and just sort of been same selfish guy, you know, and wouldn't, you know, so it's, it's, it, it's very interesting because it digs up all these like fine tuned, We've usually only seen the Empire in broad strokes, you know. Are so you saying that, that uh, Cyrillus is the direct reason the Death Star blows up? Yeah, he has. A, he can take <laughs> as much credit as R two in, in all this. Yeah, no, he, no, he. I, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I guess ultimately, but I would, I would, I would, um, um, frame it more. And you know, he's he is very, he's very, he's one of the early. He's like a sort of behind the scenes spark that probably nobody except for the people who are sort of at the God's eye point of view of watching Andor would would know. You know, he was just a little cog in the system that since he was there and the way he acted, that was really one of the big sparks that led to, you know, the solidification of the the rebellion and, yeah, the involvement in the person who got the plans for the Death Star destroyed. That's you know? why I think these like tapestries of like overlapping systems are so fascinating because because you're right, like there is no way that the Empire can keep this all in check. But that's why these lower level systems are important. You only need like one Imperial overseeing the entire Corpo, like multiple planets of like the I think it's like the pre more corpo, like they're in charge of like four planets or something like that. Yeah. It's a corporate structure. It's yeah. You know. And you just need one Imperial to check in and just be like, y'all good. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, cool. See you next year. And then they're all right. fine. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so the, the reports are done at the end of the year and see who's doing what. And, and nobody's going to pay attention to you until there's trouble. So you, exactly. you try to, you try to just keep it, but and, that's why these, like, compared to, like, the fabric um, of, like, this sort of military and financial structure to, like, something like Bad Batch. And, like, let me look. It's the, uh, 
I need to look up this actual episode because I keep referencing it. Bad Batch season two. It is the episode um Retrieval. There we go. Kept I kept trying to say Reckoning, but that's a that's a Mandalorian episode. The Bad Batch episode Retrieval, where they go and get their ship back, and there's a shitty miner there, and he has a bunch of actual miners <laughs> being little small children working for him. Like these systems, like overlapping with Andor shows how the empire has both controlled financially, like financially oppressing people as well as controlling the lower level militaries, oppressing them. And something I'd like love so much is we don't even see the empire until episode four, because it has to, it does such a good job showing how these smaller systems that per, per, uh, of oppression feed the bigger system of oppression oh well yeah you don't see the national guard every day when you're going downtown you know um, until there's like a national emergency (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. the national guard are in town yeah but talking about cyril because it might as well because cyril goes in with all my corporate notes too everybody knows i love a good villain and what i think uh andor does so well is they well, it depends. It depends on who you ask, because people have been split on Cyril since day one. But like, they really flesh out their villains, and I think Dedra, when we get to her, when she shows up, is a very good example of that. Because they they first set up Dedra to be a very sympathetic character, and then she goes like full fucking fascist. <laughs> well, they don't. And, they don't even set her up as a. They only set her up in as of you're watching the show. There's like this natural thing when you're following a character, you know, even within the empire, you know, there's there's people who are she's in opposition to. So now we're familiar with that character and they sort of trick you into that. And that we'll we'll get to that, too. Also, but, and th- then then you realize because she's the sh- only woman in the room. And they so, also, like you're you're rooting for her using these like yeah. very common tropes of just like, oh, we want the woman to like win. Um, yeah. So they're using these like very common tropes for yeah. heroes. And, and then the, when she actually gets the power, she just goes full fascist mode. And then when they let and then they let then. Yeah. And then they, they just remind you, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. She's a complete piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as as far as a human goes. But yeah, that's good storytelling. And I would say she's a she's a good villain. I don't I think I think um, Cyril is a great a great character. He's a shitty villain as like as a villain who like wants to get his villainy done. It's all done. It's all random. And his his villainy is actually leading to trouble for the Empire. So but that's what makes him so great is he's kind of just this like, you know, detestable character. And he's messing. Uh, I I urge people if if you want to do some good reading, there's this author named uh, William Berger, and he's written a whole bunch of books. But he's he, this reminds me in the shading of like, you know, gray characters, awful characters that you can still sympathize with, um, a very shaded, you know, deconstruction of uh, of systems of how things work, like you know, at whatever if it's say set in a newspaper or whatever. It reminds me a lot of this show, where with very interesting characters, that they're not afraid to be like this character's bug shit crazy, 
but you you know they're so well drawn that they're they're an interesting character and you're and you know you're you know when Cyril shows up on the screen it's like ooh this is gonna you know it's great it's you, you eat it up because he's gonna have you know he's gonna have some little cringy situation and you know he's he's yeah uh, he's but he's not a caricature of of a you know cringy incelly sort of he is a little bit of a caricature. He's a little bit of a caricature. A little bit, but a little, a little bit. bit. But that's that's the that's the writing stuff where they 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 work your your what what people have on the caricature, and then they work real character stuff in there too. You know, to you know, to as a human being, and uh, yeah, it takes the time to do that. It's uh, I'm actually, but that's it, just like, good drama. That's good writing and good drama. That's the the I think the writing in this is so fantastic and consistent. There isn't are any like weak spots where you're like, oh, okay, this is a little iffy. You know, that's that's unusual in Star Wars, in especially in a series, in Star Wars series. There's ups and downs and stuff. And, and this is written, you know, this is written on like sometimes the dialogue of two characters talking to each other with their you know about their motivations is quentin tarantino level you know so i don't know because i've never seen a quentin tarantino movie <laughs> it's so good yes. it's so good on well a, you know yes, the scene in season two Tarant- with, bill, with bill burr and the imperial that that is a quentin tarantino scene where you know you know, you know both of their histories, and they sit down. You know, Bill Burr hates his fucking guts, and the the one guy's just saying stuff to, that 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 you know is boiling Bill Burr's guts, and the, you know, and it, this tense scene. But everybody's strongly on their motivations and and acting like real people, and yeah, it's. Mwah. I am going to slide in here um, to for my serial note um and you probably won't agree with it but just roll with me and hear me out okay because it's a very i i have a lot of thoughts about serial because i do think he is a good villain and i do see him as a villain but the reason i see him kind of in the same way as as dedra is as you were saying that he is very fleshed out and for about the first half of the episode, like, actually, I shouldn't say the first half, his first scene where he's talking to his boss, like, yeah, he is a brown-nosing little shit who tailors his suit and he's all about Lady Justin and stuff like that. But there is a small enough angle in that very first scene where you almost feel sorry for him because he is honestly trying to uphold the law and do the right thing. And he sees firsthand that the system he works in is corrupt and he wants to fight that corruption. So like from that first scene, there's a little, little question of is maybe Cyril redeemable because, and of course by the end of the first season, I don't think he is, but there are some little early moments in that very first scene that you're like, I could see him rebelling because him going against his Mm. officer is an act of rebellion because Hold on, I I I know I yeah. I told you you wouldn't agree with me, but hear me out. So and and I, a lot of that is 
to purposely set him up as a foil to Cassian. Because Cassian and Cyril are both stories of radicalization, but they just radicalize in completely different sides. One is radicalized to, for the rebellion, the other one's radicalized for the empire. But they are in that thing where they could have gone the other way at any point because they're both very similar characters. Because once you get out of that first scene and there's like those little thoughts of like, could Cyril be redeemed? Is he going to be pushing back against the system and like holding these people accountable? He goes into the Cassian territory of Cassian. I love him at this point, but he is selfish. He is only thinking for himself. He's not thinking for his community. So that, and that's the thing, like everybody, and that's why Ferrix is so important. Cause like characters like Bix and Brasso and Pelga, they're all there for Cassian. Yeah, they're more there for Marva. But, like, they want, they accept Cassian in this community. And he's at this point where he's constantly, like, barring and pushing people away. Which is so much of Cassian's journey is learning how to accept his community. Then you get Cyril, who is in this position where, as, as much as the corporal suck. I'm just going to say this first. The corporal suck. They just do. But if you see everybody else around the corpos... They do seem like a community. When he's having that moment, like, lingering outside the navigational office, someone walks by and pauses and says, are you okay, sir? Are, are you doing okay, sir? Like, this person genuinely cares about him. Compare that to Agent Callus in Rebels. When he comes back after his con conversation with Zeb, no one fucking cares for Callus, and he realizes that. But the corpo seemed to get along enough to where, like, the when he comes in and the guy's eating noodles at the end, those three little, like, people right there, they're a tiny little community. And they're looking out for each other. And if if Cyril was a little bit head out of his ass and was actually open to the community around him, he could actually make probably some meaningful change that he actually wants by working with the people around them. But his goals are so selfish that his he pushes... His goals are beyond that, them. They're... Exactly. And, not and a he doesn't person. and he's... he does not see them as a community where and that's the direction he goes to is he's going to start looking for people to step on to go up in the ranks to uphold justice yeah. while Cassian learns the meaning of community and the meaning of other people. And that's why their stories are like so intertwined and they get radicalized in such drastically I, different ways. I don't see redemption being a theme in this, this oh it's show. not i it's yeah, not. you know so like no one's good in the show and that's yeah, why i love or, it or or yeah you know it's 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 just not about it's not not about that and and i mean cyril is probably a fucking psychopath so he's you know looking out for his community is and and you know i mean cassian may not be like a sociopath but he's you know, an insanely, at least maybe narcissistic person to where, you know, he's very, he's very self-focused, but I think may, mainly that, that is, has a lot to, well, it doesn't have a lot to do with, but I think it just manifests in that he's like, I'm searching for my sister, you know, and it gives him something to do that's, and it, but it's self-focused, you know, really it, it, it like i mean he might be trying to go and help his sister or whatever but he doesn't even know if his sister needs help he wants to find his sister for his own purposes or whatever you know 
Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I don't I don't see Cyril following any arc except, you know, just sort of maybe stumbling his way up in the empire and maybe causing more <laughs> damage as he goes. <laughs> I hope anyway. Mm. Um, do I have any other corpo notes? Uh I kind of already said this one, but like, uh, oh no, I think I just find it funny, like knowing season one, that Cyril is such a massive part of Cassian's story and Cassian is such a massive part of Cyril's story and they only have like one scene together. (laughs) And I think that's really fascinating that they are these driving forces for each other and they are so far away from each other. I just think that's really fascinating because- because they're sparks. You're right. They're sparks. That's exactly what they are. It's 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 good. It's good writing. The 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 writers in this are are avoiding a lot of the traps. The easy easy ways of shorthands of telling a story and stuff that are so common in stories, especially in Star Wars, where you're you know you're not especially going for you know like a novel like a, a a literature sort of not that this is but this is yeah it's not gonna it's not gonna sort of mess or, mess or, you know we don't we we never need Cyril and and Cassian to ever meet in this you know we ne- we you know it's they it's meet more in the one it's, scene where he hears his voice yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, you see, but you see, that's the thing is that's a temptation because it's something we want to see, you know, it's, 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 that's a pleasing thing to a viewer to see and stuff, but like, it, you know, it's, it's more realistic that they may never, ever cross paths, you know, like really Cassian is just sort of a, uh, a MacGuffin for, for Sir as far as Cyril's concerned, you know, he's, he's what he, he's a thing that he's focusing his energy on. It's like, he's the one that got away from lady justice. Right. Right. Or whatever. No. Yeah. No, it's cause Cyril's a psycho and he's got to find something to focus on to be like this, this, instead of the screaming voices in inside he of his head. He has to be right. That's the thing. Like he is that person who has to be right all the time. And like, if his boss wasn't going to make him right, then he was going to go to Dedra. Dedra in like, cause he even says like, I was a good cop. I did everything right. Like I did like, I, I did all my little mall cop things and he needs, he, he needs, needs fashy right. things to do. He's sick of doing just regular mall cop stuff and he wants to get really fashy about it. And, you know, nobody else is, is, is get, nobody else is as fashy as him. It's, it's fashy dick, dick, you know, showing time. And, and he wants everybody to know and look, nobody even cares that I'm the most fashy fascist here. What, what kind of fascist are we, you know? It's yeah. Are we the baddies? <laughs> no, he's never gonna think that. He's never gonna hit that. Yeah. No, he's he he's like we're the baddies, and you guys aren't being baddies enough. Get cracking, you know. He's like, why aren't we being baddie enough? Why aren't we, you know? Because yeah. that's where that's where he wants to get get going to. That's why he sees Daedra, De- and he's just like my dream girl, because. She's uh, she's basically the too. same way. She's basically the same way. She's she's more intelligent, and has her shit together a little bit more, but she's Ugh. still batshit Lukulolo. But that's not even until next next episode. That's no, that's a few episodes from now, and not but, episode, 
makes me so angry oh, as a woman. And I will get into it, that scene where he approaches her outside the building. Oh, that scene makes me so creeped out as a woman. Because that's happened to me where I'm walking to my car and I've had a neck beard customer come up to me and just like, I was waiting and I wanted to talk Hi. to you. And, I was, and I'm just like, get the fuck in the car faster. <laughs> oh, I've been there. And I hate that that scene made me feel that because that's when she's in her full fascist mode and I still wanted to reach through the computer screen and save her. Ah, the show. Speaking of real world implications, I did have one more corpo note that I wanted to touch on. Um, I I do love the scene where the two corpos stop Cassian because I and I think that's where what's like that kind of thing differentiates this from other Star Wars shows is it does feel very real world. You know, they they do have these things. I think they're because Diego Luna is a producer on the show. I, I should say that as well. Like he's one of the producers. And I think they did pull from very real world examples of what it's like for like yeah. people of color going through like stop and frisk policies. For everything in this I mean, for you that's the I mean that's all you got to work with in fiction. You know, when he's having really? his hands up and he's like, I'm not moving my hands. You take the money out of the pocket. I'm showing you my hands. Like, see the, the, the we different- have that. That's a real world. And like the one that got me is, you know, Diego Luna is a Mexican born actor. And one of these white corpo cops go, did he swim over? Like, oh, that line hits. That line hits hard because of that's the kind of like, I don't want to say it's racism in Star Wars because racism, like speciesism is a thing, but like we don't really have racism it's, in Star Wars. It's, but it's, that's it's, pretty it's, fucking it's, close. It's not, it's, it's, it's not technically racism, but it's it's the way that that it's it's like caste system. It's it's it's, it's the it's the in a way yeah, that no, makes, they that, are that, saying they are saying you're somebody who did you're somebody from so, it's other stuff. It's othering is basically what it is, you know. And I mean, like in Star Wars, you can't you know you can do racism because there's lots of people who's like you know. I mean, C three PO's C three PO said racist things about Jawas. You know, those yes. I can't stand those disgusting creatures, you know, and yeah, stuff that's like, where, that. like the speciesism comes in. Like it's usually between right, like, right. humans it, and it's aliens. Just, it's just otherism in Star Wars. It's too it's too complicated. Cause... Coded. That's the word. I, it's coded in racism, but it's yeah. not. It's coded to be like yeah. that. And but, but the, you know, Andor Andor's just doing a more naturalistic storytelling style. So everything like I mean, you you know. The the only thing that's gonna change in any story about fascism are the physical trappings of your time and place where you're showing it. But the the tactics involved are going to be the same because it's like a it's like a mechanism, you know. It's a mechanism for for control of people who don't want to be controlled, basically. How do you how do you control people that don't want you in charge of them? you know that 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 did did not choose you to be in charge with the, of them and don't like what you want them to do and there's just physical things and psychological things you have to do to do that you know and there's certain circumstances that have to be in in the water and you know a certain stew of that to make it possible you know and to make it fall and all that so you know, it's 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 like a, it's like romance or it, it's like anything else. You know the, that it's just got the trappings of 
Star Wars attached to it, you know. And Are you this saying is the first time that we've gone into it in a non-cartoony sort of way? So it's it's just like it's kind of intense. Are but you saying as, its story it rhymes? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's history too. You yeah, know? I know. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm being a jerk. Yeah. 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 But. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I, I was gonna say, but yeah. <laughs> I um speaking of Cassian, just kind of like as a transitional scene, but from the corpos into Ferrix. Um, I do like the parallel of this opening scene with him killing the corpos compared to the, compared to his opening scene of Rogue One. Rogue One opens with Cassian murdering his ally. And it's a good reminder between that scene and this one that Cassian is not a saint, which is a good transition to Ferrix because Ferrix is where our heroes are. These are the people we love. They take a lot of time to like to introduce Brasso and Bix and we haven't had Marva yet, but we'll get Marva next episode. Like, but none of the people are perfect. And I really like well, that. Cassie, I think the description of Cassian is a, as a survivor, you know, and even is. in Star Wars, we've had characters that are survivors, but they like they've been more cartoonish. A survivor, a survivor survives. So sometimes you have to do things that are not good to survive. So that's what that means. You know, that's and like. He killed that ally because he was going to survive that. You know, he's he's he wasn't going to like die because that guy screwed him. Not even just the selfishly thing, but he had a mission, you know, and mm-hmm. the mission was not going. Is the mission going to die or is this guy going to die? And, and it's not even that the guy screwed him over, that the guy was just like, I think I was followed. And he's like, it's OK. Pew. And then he walks off. The like, guy was a little bit incompetent and in the wrong place in the wrong time, but that's the tough titty, I guess, but, in that world. You but know, that's what I love about this show. Like we, like when they introduce Bix, we see that like she's a bit of a scam artist. Like she's um, selling stuff on the side, um, and even Cassian calls her out on it. Like you're skimming off the top and you're cheating me. So like, don't come at me with morals. And like Brasso, who seems like such a good guy. In episode three, he fucking murders a corpo by, like, tethering his ship and, like, letting it fly into a wall. And then we see also in episode three, like, Marva, who is Cassian's mother, is the one that separates him from his sister. And, like, so I I love that about this show is that, like, none of the good guys are saints. And I think that's such a good way. Because, like, we... When it comes to stuff like I, I love like rebels. They don't, they don't have. I love I, I love like rebels and Clone Wars, but like Harrison Dula, I love Space Mom. She has very few faults, and so sometimes she can come across as like like a moral high ground character at all times. And I love Hera, but how often when we were covering Rebels did we were like Hera had no character development this season because she's just to, solid at all Hera, times. Hera had to play the six year olds also. This mm-hmm. Andor is not Andor is is slice you know, okay, so like like a really precocious ten year old, a really intelligent ten year old kid could probably really get into Andor and up. You know, and getting less precocious as you go up, but um, yeah. So they do, they just don't. They have they can make the. I mean, that's the thing. It's 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 like World War Two resistance movies. You know, you don't have the luxury of taking the the high moral ground all the time. You know, or as much as possible. And 
the longer you do it, <laughs> the easier it is is not to, you know, the the you know, it's 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 about a lot of it's about being able to subsume yourself into a greater thing and know that you're probably going to die doing it, you know, and what what it is that can, you know, because people don't just do that, you know, in normal times for stuff, you know, it takes conditions to get to get people to where they'll exist like that. And those are bad times. <laughs> Actually, I take it back. There is one good character on Ferrix, and that is B2 Emo. Emo, yeah. B2 Emo is the best droid. Although I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, and this I think, I noticed this the second time, I didn't notice this the first time, his line about, he's like, I need you to lie, and he's like, okay, but I got, I don't, I got, I got to make sure I have enough energy to lie, and he's like, it's, that's two lies, I got to get recharged for that, so he can lie, even, even Emo can lie, can, will deceive if Cassian tells him to, so even he's not, not perfectly, like, wholesome, you know, but I love that it takes more energy for a robot to lie, though. Mm. They, they need more battery power to lie. I thought that was that was great. So why do you think B2 Emo works versus Lola for Kenobi or Dio from Rise of Skywalker? Because he wasn't made to be a toy. He doesn't his he doesn't turn into Mickey Mouse ears. You know what I'm saying? He's he 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 is a little cutified. I mean, it's they have that one scene that's like it, it's right. It looks like a it looks like a shot from Wall-E. He just looks like a more beat up Wall-E, or an you know an earlier version of Wall-E. But he's he's a great Star Wars robot because he's a real character, you know. And you 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 uh, you, you learn his quirks as the show goes on and. Yeah, he's 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 he works for the reason that robots work at their best in Star Wars in their interaction with people and their uh, and, you know, we'll see it as as it goes on. But his interactions with Cassian as you know, he's worried about him and waking him up. But like he's he's beat to hell. He's got a little bit of the robot from the black hole in it too, the Vincent robot from the black hole. And yeah, he's just an appealing, he's an appealing robot and they don't, they're not, he's just there like all the other characters. He's there and doing his thing in it. There's, they're, they're not playing up his, they're not trying to be like, Hey, check this out, kids. You know, the emo toys are coming out, you know, soon. You know, here's a here's a nice close up of him doing something really cute. You know, he's just there and he's and he's being himself and the, and they've made a good enough character and designed a good enough droid and gave him his own his physics. You know, he's he's a built to last type of thing. And like it looks like he's built for bad, bad environments where he can just sort of like crunch himself down and hunker down into a sort of, you know, just sort of little metal protected armored blob if there's any trouble and stuff it's it's great you know and and he's dysfunctional is he's not functioning right and his 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 he's got a little that max headroom to him but not too much it's not 
yeah, it's just very, it's just very well done. You know, here I, here I was hoping you would go off about again about how much you hate Dio and the rest of Skywalker. <laughs> Dio is Dio has a very similar voice and stuff and a very sort of similar emo character. And Dio is a piece of shit, and and emo is an, <laughs> a, an awesome buddy, a good boy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas I, uh, yeah, and and nothing against Dio. You it's, have every. You were on like a twenty-minute rant about because I don't accept him as a real. I I I I I don't look at him as a real because as a real robot, okay, you know he's pathetic, but you know, poor guy, he was mm-hmm. traumatized or whatever. But he's not. He's 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 J.J. Abrams inserting himself into it, trying to make himself into the cute robot thing that everybody loves, and he, and it turns out nobody gave a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is good. I'm glad it didn't work out for him. Hate that robot. I hate that robot. I know. I know. And that's why I wanted to ask you because, like, your idea and B2 Emo have like very similar personalities. I hang out with Emo all day. Oh, all day, all day. Um, but to to actually get into Ferrex, I told you guys this was going to be a long fucking episode. Um. I love the choice of making it a practical set, uh, which which does make it stand out. And like, this is in no way to like knock the volume at all, but I do think the future will be like a mix of practical sets and volumes, which is kind of like where we were. You know, we we started. It, it feels it. like it feels like it's getting back to basics because like the prequels are so CGI heavy, and then now the volume is a new technology, but like having practical effects and like some cgi and stuff like that is original star wars like that is og original trilogy star wars right there is groundbreaking effects with practicality and it's just fairx looks great it has just well, so much personality there's also like with disney the, there's also a lot of like hey let's tailor this show to the volume whereas with with um andor it has more of a uh like almost like they had more money and time where they can go like let's let's write our world and our story and what we got and then figure out how to do it with the technology that we have so like sometimes you could use the the volume and stuff for andor and have it work and then there's sometimes where you want to go find a good location and shoot outside and stuff like that and it works really well for this I don't think they use the volume at all. Like, don't quote me on that, but yeah, I, know I think was, you're right. Barracks was a real city they fucking built from the ground up. There's, but I I never trust them when they say stuff like that because they could have used the volume. They could say we didn't, we did it without the volume, but they could have used the volume to just have a shot like where you're outside and you see inside of a hut or something. They could use the volume for that, or or something else. Or no, actually, that wouldn't be. That would just be a regular, like, just green, blue screen, green screen shot. But you know what I mean. They could use it for something really minor, and uh, and it's just sort of a passing thing. So they're just like, ah, we won't even mention it, you know, because it does. But you know, that was like Mad Max Fury Road. Everybody, practical, practical. There's a lot of CGI in it. It, it was just sort of like filling in rocks on the side of the road and stuff like that a lot of the time. So it wasn't huge. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a downplayed almost as if there was none in there, but there was a little bit, you know, and doing that. Oh, to and, I'm, and I'm not saying that 
there's no CGI. There is like there's C- oh, none. there's definitely CGI. You got spaceships and and stuff yeah, like that. And, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. And what I'm CGI saying is backgrounds. Like, I'm sure on, but but yeah, this is definitely like focus on the practical with this. There is you, a lot of stuff is is practical in this. Sometimes I think people also like will see practical stuff today and so, and sometimes assume it's just really good CGI. <laughs> Ugh. Like that mole, like the slug guy in this one, you know, he, like he, he was a guy in a slug suit, you know, and he, he felt more physically there than if he was just sort of a CGI, like a guy with a stick with a slug eyes on the top that people were acting to. Mm-hmm. But I just I love the personality of Ferrix and like that. That's what I like about like the first three episodes, because they really take the time to establish why Ferrix is this kind of community and just some of the, like the little unique things about it. Like j- just a few points that I like wrote down um, that just make Ferrix unique. Like they have that one area where they have all the gloves of the ship scrappers, but there's one pair that's not on the wall and it's never explained why there's one missing. And just like, and there's one extra there's this one extra and he's in an alien suit and he just mills about and he like looks both ways before he crosses the street and he holds up his hands like a bunny rabbit and he hops off the curve. Like just little things like that. And next week we're going to get the time grappler who, you know, Ferrix has this guy and his whole job is to walk up the tower, bang the thing at the beginning and the end of the day. And like he, he's the very symbol of like Ferrick's uniqueness and like what is at stake. And honestly, like this is going to be the weirdest reference that only some people are going to get. It reminds me a lot of Steven Universe in a way, because I know a lot of people gave shit to a lot of the Earth episodes of Steven Universe because they weren't all plot episodes, but they were very, very vital to establish what was at stake because it was Steven's human side. And by getting to know the locals of beach cities, getting to know their families, getting to know like uh, who these people are and their jobs and their hobbies and stuff like that. When you have the fascist gym authority show up to destroy earth, you understand what is at stake and it's these people's lives. And like, that's what I love about Ferrix. Yeah. Cause is, they're usually just the, the main characters usually come into a town and then you get the standard, you know, town stuff. leader huddled, huddled townspeople and stuff. And this, yeah, this is, this has to really establish that town in order to stick the ending of it. If the endings to have any emotional, oomph to it they have to they have to do a lot of planting seeds in these early episodes which they do effortlessly they just do it you know in storytelling but it's but you know watching it a second time everything everything in this is planting seeds that are going to turn up later or have relevance later yeah and like i love and but that's also where i like cassian's story in this as well because like he people like want him in the community but they also want him to contribute to the community because he's part of the community and cassian as we were saying like he's he's a little bit of a narcissist right now he's kind of selfish and that's why i love like seeing him here in this first episode and knowing where he's going in rogue one because like he's a thief and a con man and he's fighting for himself and his own and i and i would say like marva is in his own because like i I think the reason he does a lot of stuff is because he does love his mother and he wants to help but he also wants to find his sister like so everything he does is for his own but like and but 
his rebel story hasn't started yet, and he actually reminds me a lot of Jen um, in Rogue One because Jen Erso has that great line where Saul Guerrera asks, "How can you ignore the Imperial flags?" and Jen responds, "It's only a problem if you don't look up." And he's in his "I don't look up" phase right now, and it's when he's actually, and of course we know, like he's going to go through the prison arc and stuff like that. It's when he is forced to see not only how the empire is subjugating him and people like his community, but also the consequences of his actions. Because the reason everything happens is because of Aldani. Like, he's not on that journey yet. He is, don't look up the flags right now. And that's why I love him, because I think some people, and I think that's where Ferrix is, because that's, I rewatched Marva's speech today, because I wanted to hear the marching band and stuff like that. And that's where Marva talks about in her final speech in the last episode, is right now Ferrix is sleeping. They know the Empire's a thing, and, like, so much of this is about a community, like, slowly waking up to the horrors around them. Because people don't tend to care until it's in your backyard. Like, that's that's what it's like with school shootings, when people are just like, I never thought it would come here. Wake up. School shootings are everywhere. Mass shootings are everywhere. We've had more mass shootings this year than we've had days in this year. But people don't give a shit until it's in their own fucking backyard. And that's where Ferrix is right now. They are sleeping, and so is Cassian. Um, now I'm rambling. So I'm going to talk about Brasso. Because <laughs> Brasso is kind of part of that. And Brasso has such a great little rebellion journey as well. And I'll talk more about him when we get into like episode three and the final episode like that. But Brasso is very much the embodiment of the rebellion and what it is. Because this episode does such a good job just to establish he's a blue-collar worker guy. That's all he is. He goes to his job, he enjoys his job, hangs out with his friends, goes sees Marva, goes home. Like, that's his life. But that's what the rebellion is made up of, which is everyday people. The rebellion is a million Brassos. And he also is the embodiment of this community as well. He's such a loyal friend. Because when Cassian comes to him, he's like, I need you to be my alibi. Brasso asks, is Cassian is serious? And when he sees that Cassian is serious, Brasso is fully on board to protect him. He is just like, all right, I don't know what the fuck you did, but I'm going to protect the fuck out of you. But the other side of that is, I think Brasso is the first step of Cassian's journey because he's trying to hold Cassian accountable. He is like, you need to get a job. You need to help your mother. You need to stop doing this and like go to work. He tells him, like, put your boots on and get a job. And and Brasso is just like one piece of that, but I think he's a very vital piece of. I'm rambling now. Um, he's a very vital piece of like what Ferrix represents because he is sleeping right now. All of Ferrix is sleeping. They know the Empire is a thing, but it's not in their backyard yet. But because of the sparks that is Cassian and Cyril, it's gonna be in their there's, backyard very soon. Yeah, there's soon. not enough friction yet. Yeah. And I I and I think that's a very like valuable lesson when you have something like these systems that have been in place so long people know these systems are bad this 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 show i just i'm thinking of this and i just thought like we're two american people watching this this show's gonna land a lot differently if you're like in a third world country (laughs) watching it because they already know those frictions you know like generations and generations of civil wars and power struggles and stuff like this, all this stuff, like in a a little town, you know, with, with this going on, 
has been life in the th- like third world, like South American third world countries and stuff like that. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And uh, Central American and stuff. Yeah. But like that, that you're popped in my head. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like it, it doesn't have the friction right now, not yet. And you know, to use a different example, it's like the Black Lives Matter movement. We've all known that there's been racism and there's systemic systems of racism and it permeates everything from our economic structure and our corporate structures. And there's activists who are anti-racism and stuff, but it took George Floyd. Exactly. That was about to make it a powder keg and explode. And like, and what immediately happened every freaking like. Every like, because like even like it goes, it goes from being a few people who are like grumble, grumble, grumble to the whole damn village is just like, hey, and the pitchforks come out. That's how it works. Yeah, because because even for the longest time, like people like Colin Kaepernick, like he was saying this from the beginning, but like people were taking it as a joke and as a show and stuff like that. But it took George Floyd. Yeah, it was just a media circus with him. You know, with it got turned into a media circus. You and, can't and turn some... George Floyd into a media circus as and it was a. Circus, but not the same kind as like Kaepernick, you know? Yeah. Um, and then suddenly you have like all these major corporations just being like, hell fucking Star Wars was just like, it took John Boyega in a micro and like a, like, what are those things? Those like things that you yell into. Um, what are they called? Megaphone. Megaphone. Thank you. It took John Boyega in a megaphone going, I might never work again, but let me tell you how like I got fucked over because I'm black. And that's when Disney and Star Wars were like, uh, we should have protected him. And then when Moses Ingram came out, Star Wars was like, yeah, don't fucking fuck with Moses Ingram. <laughs> that's when we... Disney's and Star Wars lawyers. <laughs> but like we talked about that when covering um, when covering uh, Kenobi, which was like they did not protect John Boyega and they realized what a mistake that was. They didn't protect Kelly Marie Tran. They didn't protect Daisy Ridley. And that's why when they were like, no, this is a problem. We're going to protect Moses. Let's just because because I think, of... I think they were just generally had their pants down on every aspect of those sequels and just made it a shit show for everybody. Like, I hate J.J. Abrams, but he probably was handed a shit show for for uh, the that third up uh, for the the rise of Skywalker. But put it this way. Do you think. If not for George Floyd, do you think Star Wars would have protected it, Moses Ingram as much and would have came flat out and said, we don't tolerate ra- racism in our fandom? It's hard, to, it's hard to say, but no, probably I, not. <laughs> I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And that, that's that's where Ferris is like right now. Like, you're right. Like, there's no like the spark just happened, but there hasn't been enough friction to make the, 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 con- the consequences uh, of causing trouble are like t- too much compared to the like i mean their life is probably a little different but it's i mean they probably were generally like in just sort of poor working class conditions before the empire got there and they're they're in that wait and see thing of just sort of like all right you know let's we'll see how this goes you know and nobody wants to get shot Mm -hmm. (laughs) um the last uh, two points I have on Ferrix before, uh, actually, I did have one more co- corpo note. I love the blue cup of noodles. Love it. Get me blue cup of noodles. That's my last corpo note. I just saw it at the bottom. But my last two Ferrix notes, um, I will talk a lot about Tim next episode. I have a lot of thoughts about Tim, but next week is when Tim does his Tim things. <laughs> so when I will Tim talk about out. that. 
Yeah. You guys are going to be hearing a lot about like the red scare and the purple scare next week. Woohoo. Um, Cause that's exactly what Tim is. Um, but uh, the only other fair note I have is about Luthen because he really is the unnamed character in this because he's Bix's contact. And one thing I do hope they kind of flesh out at some point, either in season two or like maybe in a novel or something like that, is how, because Cassian tells Bix that he knows that Luthen wants to meet him. How did Luthen find out who Cassian is in the first place? How does he know about his dad? How does he know Cassian's history? And what is all that? And also, how did he get his communication set up with Pack and Bix? Like, that is the one plot thing of, like, season one that I feel like is very unaddressed. Because Luthen knew everything about Cassian. And I do not think Bix told him. Because Bix would not do that, I don't think. So, how? And I do have a theory. I think, like... Maybe Luthen somehow knows Marva or Clem. Clem is Cassian's father. Like, I think that that might be a reveal. What but about, I do, um, I do what about like Mon Mothma's cousin? But she hadn't met Cassian. She didn't know who he was. When he arrives to join her mission, she has no idea who he is. Uh, well, or, or maybe, or maybe she's just, she's, she's deep cover. She might just, she's not supposed to know who he is, you know? You know what I mean? She might have Maybe, been playing but, that to, to suss him out because, but, I don't know. Let's put a pin in that and start paying attention to that from now on and see if we can figure out who was, who was feeding it. Because I don't think this show would just chalk it up to a, like, oh, we'll just leave it to his intelligence. Even if they don't overtly come out in the show, I think there'll be some way to sort of get an idea who could possibly have been being like this this Cassian guy. But yeah, it could very well have been Marva. <laughs> I, I think I would actually love for it to be Clem. Um, because we have had so much of Marva, and I do love Marva. That's not a slide against Marva. But Clem has so much less time in this show. Um, we do have a few powerful scenes with like Clem being Cassian's dad. But I would love to have some like Clem fat flashbacks in season two of like him somehow knowing Luthen and, and stuff. But or, yeah. or maybe the other thing is his sister. Like it could be Cassian's sister who's in the room, the elephant in the room. Um, because hey, that's a great chat. I, I have a theory. I have a theory of Cassian's sister. I want to Re- hear it. Red herring. Gonna, she's, a, hope- she's a red herring. We're not. We're not going to find out anything about Cassian's sister. We may never hear about her again. Story wise. I think she served a purpose as to like being Cassian's motivation that got him into, you know, his focus of his trauma to, to give him something to a purpose in the world and stuff. But, and, and I say this all because of this, that the last scene, okay. The, the scene, it's almost the last scene in the show, if not the last scene, where she's just standing at the end of the trail with the trees over and, you know, the camera moves back a little bit and, and you can tell that's his last, that's like, that's like the picture that like people pull out of movies of their lost, you know, family member or girlfriend or whatever, and look at it every once in a while to keep themselves. That's his memory of her, but that's a memory of someone you've never, you never see again. That's a last memory that, that is just in movie code like 
there in in like if he's going to find his sister there would have been a more of a scene of them of you know even though they were doing it in another language and something of more of her of like you know you can't ever leave me you know something something like that would have been the last thing that they left us with you know so that's jangling with it but the last thing they left us with is just sort of like this like idealized memory in a, in his head so i have a feeling that his sister is just going to be like not literally a casualty of war but his search for a sister will be a casualty of war the you know getting swept up in everything just like war will do to people you know that i mean there were people like you know my i last time i saw my little brother i was getting pushed one way and he was getting pushed another way in the you know in you know some town in the middle of somewhere and you know he got in a car with my aunt and uncle to drive to this this border and i ended up in this train going to here and i never saw him again (laughs) you know i i don't think you're too far off from that because diego luna has said in interviews that cassian's story is the story of a refugee it's not about this it's not about like that like the less stuff that you tie up to you know you like it's it's got to be a little bit messy you know you can't tie everything up really nice or or, or work it towards being satisfying as far as far as like you know satisfying story points like whatever happened to that person whatever happened to that person people are going to be coming in and out and dying and or like the guy that he got out of the prison with when they part ways you may never they do see Kino. each other they, they, do, <laughs> they do end up seeing each other again they do end up together down the line but it's like you know it, it's it, it reminds me of like the great those great novels like little big man or papillon where somebody comes in and comes out and you know, like someone in your life, they're in and they're out, you know, a coworker. I really like that guy I worked with. I can't even remember his name now from 10 years ago. You know, I wonder whatever happened to that guy. You know, he was in your life and you're talking to him every day and then like he's gone. <laughs> so I, I like that aspect of it, you know, and, and you know, that, you know, they just have to keep a, a certain core working on it. You know, our, our, core characters to carry us through it and everything out it's just this big messy tapestry of war being carried out or you know the actually the beginnings of war i i thought of this horrific thought as you were talking what if the final shot of this show is we see cassian and jen on because they've said that season two is going to go right into rogue one like it ends at rogue one and that's why there's only two seasons what if the final shot of the show is Cassian and, and Jen and Scarif is being blown up and then it has a shot on the Death Star and a woman is looking out and someone walks up and they're like, Lieutenant Andor, blah, 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 and that's his sister. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that it's not me. Gonna, They won't write that. They won't write that. It's too, it's too. It's too much. It's, it's too, too much, much for and what they're doing. And that's not the show. Yeah, that, 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 they don't want, they, that, that's not the moments they're going for in this one. You know, if they... Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, they'll have little moments like that, but they'll be almost even more internal than that. You know, they will be a little mm-hmm. character 
moment or something. But yeah, I I, I kind of hope they don't. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. That would be the Twilight Zone ending. Um, the, the only other kind of big note that I have is um, I'll, I'll get more into one of them in episode three. Um, but I do find Cassian's childhood village interesting. And between those, like the three episodes, you can kind of like put together what happened with context clues, because someone in one of the three episodes said like there was some sort of accident that poisoned the planet, and so because these kids are there's no adults in this, like so maybe it was this place where like the adults die but the kids are unaffected, but there's this one moment that makes me think that they haven't been there that long. And what makes me think that is when they see the ship crashing, one of the girls stands up and starts waving at the ship and yelling at it like, hey, we're down here. And the other teenage girl shushes her, which tells me they do need help. And they've been here without help. And that tells me that, like, yeah, they have all this place set up, but I don't know if they've actually been there for a long time no or maybe or maybe they have been like maybe they do need a help because their entire village and planet has been poisoned and they need a write-off it looks like they've been there for a while and it looks and the the stuff that like they have a lot of stuff fashioned out of nature but they have a lot of stuff fashioned out of the debris of a civilization you know like the bottoms of containers for cups and bowls and stuff that's that's been you know, scavenged and stuff. So, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to say. Or maybe the adults were rounded up at some point or something like that. It's, you know, because someone does say that there was an accident on, like, a mining accident on Canary, and I think it's it's either next episode or episode three where we actually see Cassian walk up to the mine and see the mine on his planet. So mm-hmm. we know it happened, um, but. It makes me wonder, like, why only the kids? Well, it could unaffected? be a mine. It might not be the mine. You know, it's hard to mm-hmm. say. It's hard to say. But like, yeah, they they remind me of the kids in the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You know, with the they they've 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 sort of fashioned together a sort a sort of little camping life, but they don't really know what they're doing. You can tell their clothes aren't too old. They're still a little colorful, but they're like all like still you know lashed together and stuff. But they're you know. They haven't. I mean, they're little kids. They couldn't have been there too long, <laughs> or else they'd be big kids. They'd well, be, they also have some teenagers, like some older teenagers right, too. Right. Right. So the, the it, I mean, it seems like at the most maybe a a, a couple years or a few, uh, you know, or a year or a year, you know. But maybe like it sounds like Canary was their planet, though. So like maybe something did happen where this is where they escaped to. Um, yeah. and maybe Canari was, and that's, th- that's what essentially I'm getting to. Like, I would love to learn more about Canari because maybe it was a thriving civilization and it had all these like things going forward in these big cities. And then something happened to make it turn into a more, uh, tribal like setting. Um, or maybe they were settlers of some type from another planet that like they they could have been the indigenous people where maybe the there's an on the other side of the planet they have all these like metropolises and cities and like these are the indigenous people like that could be a a situation too if they're the indigenous people these guys if they're the indigenous people they would have like a whole sort of indigenous lifestyle no, I mean, I mean, we're talking like space and in, in, indigenous though. So like, there could be like some oh, yeah, Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're, we're not they're, talking like real yeah, world indigenous. indigenous leftovers of a of a industrial planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But um, the thing that I also find interesting is once we get into, like, I think it's episode three, is there's some back and forth whether or not this, the ship that crashed is Separatist or Republic. Because these flashbacks are either right around the time of the Clone Wars or maybe just a little bit before. And if, if you did, like, the math, it's, it's right about Clone Wars era before. And there I, is some back and forth about... Because, it makes like, me think of Grievy... grievy. Or not Grievy, uh, Palpy, Palpy and his clone experiments, you know, that it might have been some sort of, you know, bio, bio experimentation that was sort of like one of his, you know, black, black op. So is it the Empire? Is it the Republic? It's sort of, it's sort of been going on through both of them. That's what I got from them. They're like a scientific ship that was maybe doing some cloning stuff and, and broke a, test tube and and crashed yeah because like the thing is is that someone somebody pointed out that the label on the dead ship people is separatist but marva specifically says the republic will come look for their ship yeah yeah yeah. so are these republic members who are trying to look like separatists are these actual separatists and marva is wrong and like that's what i kind of like about this that there's this unknown element and at the end of the day we don't need to know those details right. to, for this story. Right. Um, they, have, so, they really have not. It's all about more how Cassian got to where he is than the details of that is, stuff. As far yeah. as we know, anyway. Which which is why I was like, I would love to have Canary fleshed out in like a book. I don't want to see it on screen, but I do want to see it fleshed out in like yeah. a book or a reference book, something. Um, but I will say one fun note, Wikipedia calls this tribe of kids the Alpha Tribe. So take okay. what you will from that. They're called the Alpha. Okay. Take, take what you will from. I, I don't know. I don't glean anything from that. But. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, maybe. Maybe what? I mean, it implies an Omega tribe, right? Um, maybe. We're, we're not this too bad batch for us. <laughs> too bad batch. Uh, I don't have anything else about this first episode. Do you? If I do, it's all real. Um, I, love the, I love the music. There's a lot of Blade Runner vibe to the music. And the dialogue's incredible. I got some Clockwork Orange vibe with, the, with Corpo, basically, because they're all British, but yeah. Otherwise, no. I got. I snuck all my stuff in. In uh, in your notes. Yeah. Well, then Chris scored up for me. Okay, so I gave this a double score. As a single episode, it gets an eight. As this would this would make it probably on the lowest end of Andor. But as a second time viewing. And knowing I should have just watched the first two episodes, it gets a nine for me. But like, I think they, I, I still think they should have uh, <coughs> chopped these together into a movie. Started <coughs> out with a nice almost two, hour 45 minutes of the first two episodes. So it just doesn't get, it's world building like crazy and it's sucking me in every minute a little deeper, a little deeper. And then it just sort of ends on a scene, you know, halfway through the story of like, okay, I'm going off to, to find my sister. And then, you know, and then I was like, oh, okay. There was no big, any, like 
anything to like premiere this is just like pure world building and then it's like half of it and then and then I was a little disappointed. But then when I saw the second episode, I'm like, oh, okay, good, good. I remember uh, I, you you messaging me that night because you were like, I only watched the first episode and I felt like I walked out of the first act of a play. Yeah, yeah. And, That's exactly and, what you messaged me. Yeah, and and uh, I think that was, I think Disney should have just cut it, all, cut it all together or made it very clear, like watch the first two episodes. They dropped uh, the first lot of, three episodes on the same day. Yeah, it was yeah. clear, but some of us have jobs, <laughs> right? Well, that's the thing. And other people just don't, you know, they just watch things one at a time anyway, because that's a, like normal people, not fan people, you know. Yeah. And I mean, like the people I work with, they 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 watched Andor because they, they like Star Wars, but they don't like get really into it. But they watch the shows and, you know, so. So, yeah, I think I think Disney kind of kind of dropped the ball on 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 promoting this show i don't think they knew what they had i don't think they were like super unconf you know unconfident about the material i mean i don't see how you could see this material and be like oh this isn't really good <laughs> you know like even from the script form so yeah i don't yeah not so i i would say if you just had to pick one it's i'm gonna be a nine good start sorry i was muted <laughs> <laughs> I I went to unmute myself and I missed the button completely. <laughs> well, at, least, at least you didn't hit the hang up button, which is I've done I've that almost before. Done, I've, you don't know how many times I've come so close to hitting that uh, hang up button. You're so stupid. You're like, oh. I know. So, so often. Um, unlike Chris, I did not do two scores because I am viewing this how I want to view it. I, I gave it a nine. Yeah. I think it's a solid start. Um. Granted, I did watch all three episodes in one sitting. It was a long morning. <laughs> but uh, no, like, I think it's a solid start. Not a boring this... morning, morning, right? No, not at all. Um, but it does everything it needs to do. It sets up um, about, I would say, most of the very important players. Of course, we don't get, like, Luthen, Marva, Dedra, and, like, Velencenta and them till later. But... It establishes Ferrix, which you, is which is what you need to do. You need to establish your home base, and it takes the time to really establish home base and what is at stake and who these people are and why they are important and where Cassian is in his life. Hell, and we're gonna get more of it in the next two episodes too. They're exactly. still doing it. <laughs> yeah, so I I think it's a solid start and I love it. So I give yeah. it nine out of ten. I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna I think I'm just gonna have nines across the board. May, okay, you know what? Let me let me let me not start so high. I'm gonna say eight point five, just okay. to give myself some wiggle room. Okay, because... well we can we can also we can have we can also just set nine as a new you know we could also have like lots of nine point fives and nine point seven fives. And we have some elevens. Nine point eight fives. Elevens. Nine twelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do we can do all that if we want. We can do whatever the fuck we want, man. It's yeah. Like, oh. I'm gonna give it a 900 out of a thousand. Okay. That way, next week could be like a 873. Sure. <laughs> oh, as always, we works love for to me. We'll love to hear your feedback from iTunes, Twitter, the Two True Freaks Facebook page, or the new Two True Freaks Discord Discord uh, channel. And actually, this week is our very first feedback coming from Discord. Because you can leave feedback there, and I will look at it, and I will I will save it. 
And uh, if you want to learn how to join our Discord, let me and Chris know, and we will, you know, give you a link. And this week, it comes from our good buddy, Bucho. And he's actually talking about an episode we did a while ago, which was an episode we recorded with my sister, Jen. And it was the episode, Wrap Those Puppies Up. All right. Which featured Hope's sister telling tales, including the 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 a story of uh hope assaulting a racist at, at, at a young age which i didn't was, assault a racist i was dealing with a racist there is a difference that's that's the spirit that's the spirit i was trying to get there anyway bucho says been catching up with some back cataloging and uh and and just just the thing uh google he spelled catalog right. You don't have to underline it. There's I, a U yes. in it. He's he's down under. So come on. Bucho is from New Zealand. So right now it's just like, come why on, is Bucho, there stop different being, spelling for these stop words? Stop being racist about U's in catalog. We it's we actually, all know that that. It's always so funny because um, whenever I get my my friend Arzu lives in Canada, so she she knows um, like Great Britain English, like that's how she learned to spell. So whenever she sends me anything, my Google lights up like a fucking Christmas tree. <laughs> Flavor isn't spelled with a U. Flavor isn't spelled with a U. Shut up, Google. Yeah, anyway. I, like my my Google Docs lights up like a goddamn Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got two of them in here. Been catching up with some of the back catalog you and got to the one with Jen, the story of hope going in front of Mr. Siegfried after hitting that kid who is spouting racist slurs is some proper rebel behavior with an O-U-R behavior. You know, it's also proper rebel behavior, not not spell checking. New Zealand spelling in my Google Docs because I don't give a fuck. Google, fuck you. Yeah. Google, Sometimes they'll give me suggestions like, oh, it looks like you're writing this in British English. Are, do you wish to use American English or British English? I'm almost like, fuck you, Google Docs. I, I, don't I care. wish you would just go away, Google, and leave yes. me to write. Let me, let me live my life, Google. Let, let Bucho live his life. I thought I got out of school with teachers with red pens underlining my shit. Ugh. This is why I have Grammarly, Google, because you I'm tired of your bullshit. <laughs> I had to pay for Grammarly for work. It's fine. I like it. It's it's a business expense. Oh, Chris, where can people find you? It's late. You We've can been find recording me a long, long time. I told you guys. Time. We knew it was going to happen. Oh, you can shit. find me at 2TrueFreaks.com, our gigundous website. Full of all the Two True Freaks podcasts, old and new, young and old. Uh, they're all there. Go there, sign up for all the shows. Um, you can also see us on Facebook, on social media. We got the Two True Freaks podcast page where we post up all the new shows and the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is our hangout zone. It's the hangout, it's the fun hangout zone, dude. And you can also go to the modern cesspool that is twitter and find the stalwart gene hendrix running our twitter page two true freaks at twitter with starring gene gene the twitter machine it has not broken yet gene (laughs) it's still crawling along twitter 
<laughs> it's it it's it's getting harder all the time though. There I, definitely I, been. Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't been there in a while. I I I, I, I went look saw saw what it was and it was. It, it, it's it, Twitter has never been appealing for uh, to keep me going back to it from the very start. So I, I've never liked it to start with. So it's just even worse now. So <laughs> anyway, that's where they can find me. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter as long as it's surviving. You can also find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I'm also a staff writer for the Geeky Waffle. I'm a contributor for Dork Side of the Force, and now I'm a writer for Wealth of Geeks. Ah! <laughs> I do what? Ah! Oh lord. Um, I do all that. So uh, Wealth of Geeks, Dork Side of the Force, Geeky Waffle. You can find me writing at those three places. Um, and I'm also a podcaster over on For Light and Dice. Uh, we have fun over there. It is a real play, role play tabletop podcast where uh, we it's set in Star Wars and we roll dice and we go on adventures and we are coming to the end of I think we're coming to the to the second story arc. I think we're about to start the third story arc. I think, um, if I remember correctly, I don't know. I was eating Cheez-Its. I only <laughs> I actually do pay attention, but I. We, we just wrapped up a big storyline and we're about to start another one. So I guess we're coming to the end of the second arc. I don't know. We talked about putting them. None of this matters to you guys. You don't care. Um, so go listen to me over at For Light and Dice. Oh my God. I have not looked up next week's episode because I forgot because Kenobi fucking ruined me. And I was like, come back for part three. Um, but now I actually have episode titles. Actually, that was such like, a relief of like, yes, episode titles. And I think that I realize that's probably why, like, some parts of Kenobi is kind of like blends into my brain. So I'm like, I right, don't know if yeah. this is part three or yeah. four. Maybe they did that on purpose. I don't know. Uh. But anyway, guys, come back next week. We will be talking about Andor episode two. That would be me. I forgot that was the name of this episode. <laughs> well, now you know. Because all the other ones I remember, like, The Reckoning and, like, No Way Out, or One Way Out, I should say. Um, like, those all make sense, but I forgot what that would be me was about. Anyway, come back next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks.
one zillion dollars. The question is, who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out?